so <laughs> I feel like we should save my Blark screaming for the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just because I'm going to get like a little carried away probably. So so who do you want to pick up on next? So let's talk about, I, I'm just laughing because I'm looking at like we're already over three hours and we haven't talked about the science squad at all. This is like, <laughs> this I is- know, I know. <laughs> we're like over, we're three hours and 10 minutes and we are, and we just finished talking about the first scene. <laughs> Well, and I mean, and four twelve. Like we did, we did know. Like we didn't know we were gonna do yes, this. Although true. it is so that's hilarious. True. Why don't we start with uh, Monty and Murphy? Because I think that was a really cool yes. thing. That is that is somewhat more, yeah, somewhat more self contained. Yes. I just have to say, I adored every single second of Monty and Murphy's little yes. like side trip, yes. and then all the like the return and everything. Like, I mean, this whole season, one of the delights of season four has been the kind of like new pairs of characters or like trios of characters that have been thrown together to just like absolute sheer genius and delight and this is yet another one like I did not know that I needed as like solo you know Murphy and Monty side trip conversations I had no idea that I needed those conversations oh my god but I definitely did it was amazing and I do have to say like the character who probably had the most of those over the course of the season is Murphy. I absolutely Which just agree. like, Murphy is just like such an amazing foil for everyone. Yeah. And also Richard Harmon has chemistry with everyone. It's just like sheer delight. Oh you like stick Murphy with anyone and it's amazing. And he brings out new things in the other characters, which I just yes. love. Like I'm with you. I adored, you know, seeing this totally unexpected pairing. But the thing that I liked the most about it was that you know, like like one of one of the issues that you and I both had with four twelve was feeling really insufficient closure or even acknowledgement of what happened to Jasper. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly no real cognizance of the stakes of that landing on all of the other delinquents once they were told. In a way, I think getting a moment that it that sort of lets us see into where Monty's at with it emotionally through the context of Murphy in season one felt like the perfect way to remind us that what happened to Jasper is still emotionally present for Monty. Because of course, if you look at who Monty is, like, yeah, of course, a thing that Monty has never gotten past is, you know, Murphy at the very beginning, you know, like wanting to kill Jasper because he's like keeping him up at night. And and because there isn't really, you know, like we talked about this before when we talked about the Jasper thing, but like when somebody commits suicide, once they're gone, it's like there's no one left to be mad at because the person that you're angry at is gone. Like, Monty can be mad at Jasper and probably on some deep level remains very angry at Jasper, but Jasper isn't there to yell at. But Murphy, who almost killed Jasper Mm -hmm. once but didn't, is right there, you know? And so it felt like this is is actually absolutely a beautifully sort of psychologically real and accurate depiction of a very true thing I 100% believe that Monty would be feeling and a totally comprehensible reaction Mm -hmm. for him to have in this moment. And for Murphy to handle it the way he handles it, which is instantly realizing like, yes, past Murphy was a total asshole. Like Murphy does not even question, you know, like, mm-hmm, yeah, that mm-hmm. was fucked up, you know, and and also now is not the time for me to defend whatever choice that, that was that I made. <laughs> so what it shows us in terms of like how, how Murphy has grown and his ability to like have a level of compassion for Monty and for the magnitude of Monty's loss at Jasper that he didn't give a shit about when he was going to kill Jasper before says so much about how far Murphy has come. But it also, I think, really feels like if we were going to get a sort of Jasper acknowledgement moment, this was the exact right way to do it. Like, I thought it was actually really, really well done. I thought so, too. I mean, I, I thought I was I was really glad that we got at least 
some sort of glimpse into the fact that Monty is not okay. Yes. You know, that he's, that, you know, losing Jasper and losing Jasper the way that he did is in there. It's, you know, and it's like within the context of what's happening, you know, Monty's always been a character who's very good at compartmentalizing, you know, like consistently throughout the show, you know, in moments when like traumatic things have happened, but like someone's got to keep their shit together and keep going. Monty has done that. Like Monty didn't fall apart after, after Mount Weather. He did that too and he was upset about it but he never fell apart. That's that's kind of the way that Monty seems to canonically deal with things is he just like Monty is a champion compartmentalizer. He might rival Clark, yeah. you know, like he's right up there. So it does make sense that Monty would just be like, "All right, head down, power through, you know, we got to get this thing, we got to keep going." But it so it was nice to sort of have this like moment and and like Murphy is the character who can always get under everyone's skin. So it's kind of perfect to put them together like Murphy will get it out. And so it was nice to have this moment of sort of con- of confirmation that like that all of that pain that, you know, the 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 loss of Jasper, all the feelings that Jasper's suicide unleashed, they're just underneath the surface. You know, like they're they're like right there. They're really, they're still really raw. Like he can focus on the task in front of him and probably, you know, having been through grief and stuff like that. In the in the immediate aftermath, a lot of the time you're very grateful to have something else to focus on, you know? So so it also makes sense that Monty would just be like, thinking about the thing that I have to do, thinking about the thing that you're not thinking about Jasper, thinking exactly. about this. But it is nice, you know, the fact that it was like just so right there. You know, mm-hmm. and that that he snapped so, so fast. fast. Yeah, you know, I think it was a nice sort of confirmation that that this was that this was right there. I will say, I'm glad that we I got I'm glad that we got a Jasper mention. I'm glad that we got a Jasper mention that sort of confirms that this is not an emotional issue that is closed for Monty. You know, it's something that he's dealing with, although it's not you know sort of part of the plot. I'm still like overall, I'm still disappointed. And we'll always be disappointed and a little upset that Jasper's suicide is, was basically an ending, you know, that it wasn't, it was, this is, that this will never be a story about like Jasper killed himself and here's what it means. That this was meant to be, you know, like people are sad, but like whatever, you know, we're basically moving on. Like I, this is the problem with the time jump, right? Like we're going to leap right all the way across. Like by the time we get back to Monty, it's going to be, going to be coping how he's going to be coping and it's not going to be like a present thing and it's not going to be sort of like relevant major storyline. Like basically it's over and done. And yeah, this is not something that's unique to the hundred I mean I think when I was trying to process why I was so 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 deeply upset about Jasper I think one thing one big thing that I realized is that you know it's really important to me as someone who has been suicidal and who has sort of you know survived a suicide of others that that suicide be portrayed as the start of a, of a new story, the beginning of something rather than the ending, that this isn't yeah. a closing, there's no closure in suicide, right. you know, like it, it unleashes things. Like it doesn't end the relationship with the person who died. It doesn't close the feelings you have about them. It sort of starts a whole new thing. And this is, like I said, this is as much about sort of like media or TV in general as it is about The 100. I mean, I think The 100 is doing something that most TV shows do with suicide. Like this is a totally typical way that that a lot of TV shows sort of portray suicide. More times than not, I would say, it tends to be the ending of something in a TV show rather than the beginning. It's not exclusively. I mean, I think there are, you know, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure someone else can. Think of a, of a, of a TV show that has done sort of a whole story about it besides 13 Reasons Why, which I haven't watched and I won't watch because it would be, yeah, you know, psychologically catastrophic yeah. for me. So this is really more about me sort of like reflecting on the reasons why common sort of media portrayals of suicide are so deeply upsetting for me as a person who has a lot of sort of like really very, very deep 
sort of issues and feelings and emotions and sort of history surrounding it. So, you know, so this is what it is and 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 I'm I'm past my anger at it for being what it is and I accept that, but I just sort of like if I had a wish for the future, yeah. I would say if you're going to have a, a character kill themselves, you have to I please think about it as the start of a new story. Don't just throw it away. It's it's too huge and sensitive and important a thing. Yeah. For the people who've been through it in one way or another. And and I was I was like genuinely triggered by it in in this is why I was angry. I was angry because I was having to sort of relive the stuff that I didn't want to relive. And I know a lot of other people were too and I think if you haven't been through it, you don't know. And maybe like and different people have different experiences. So maybe so there are people who probably do have experiences with it who had totally different reactions. And like, I'm not trying to dictate, you know, you grieve how you grieve, you know, like you should never, I always just feel like you never judge someone for the way that they grieve because it's just always very, very different. But for me, I would, I would just please plead with anyone who is ever going to make a TV show to think about that when you're planning to tell one of those stories because I'm just I'm just never really fully yeah. going to be okay with the way that this one played out and the fact that no one else other than Monty ever got to have a moment of grieving or have a moment of reflecting on what Jasper's yeah. death meant to them or anything you know like he's he's gone other than in Monty well and I think that gets to like the thing about it that I found really that sort of got under my skin was that one of the most I felt like sort of upsetting and kind of out of character moments of Clark in season three is when Jasper tells her that Lincoln is dead and her immediate reaction is like, no, this inconvenience is my plan. And and no amount of grief for Lincoln. Yeah. No reaction coming right on the heels of like, you know, like she shot the guy and told Lincoln he was her people, you know, like that connection was there, but like there right. wasn't. Yeah. So, so then she receives the news of his death with no visible reaction. And I, and I felt so yeah crushed to see such a similar I guess flatness or I guess sort of lack of really digging into it and her reaction to hearing that Jasper had died and I think for me it gets to one of my kind of ongoing I guess sort of a and I understand why for plot reasons it's sometimes necessary but I guess sort of a recurring frustration that I have with choices that the show makes sort of for expedience you know for for time is how often when a major character dies, the response to their death is focused on one person only. So like when Lincoln died, yeah, yeah. the only relationship of Lincoln's that really bore the weight of that was Octavia. And that makes sense. Like that Octavia would obviously be yeah. obviously the primary one, but Lincoln had a relationship with Bellamy. Lincoln died in Kane and Sinclair's place and they got away. That wasn't really addressed. Lincoln mattered to Indra yeah. really deeply. Yeah. That came back only very sort of tangentially and really later. Like that came back more this season. You know, Lexa had deep personal relationships with lots of other people besides Clark. And yet we only really sort of saw that filtered kind of through Clark. You know, Wells, I think, existed more for Clark and we didn't really get much of... Then he sort of disappeared from Jaha storyline kind of... You know, so, I, so I think a lot of times, yeah. you know, the... Or now it's the opposite. Like, first it was, there was, like, big things for Clark and now, like, Clark never remembers Wells and only Jaha remembers Exactly, Wells, yeah, you know, so. yeah. So I feel like the... Um, and, there, you know, there are some... There are some exceptions and they tend to be, I think, the deaths that happened in the first season where the cast was so small and everyone was sort of so integrated. But but it does really feel like, particularly in season three and season four, as like the map has really expanded and we have, you know, like we've talked about at length, you know, like like characters who are deeply connected to each other, who exist in the same physical setting, but whose storylines never intersect. And I think that the sort of shift in how the show treats grieving as something that is sort of localized to the one person 
through whom it is easiest and clearest to kind of manifest that, you know? So, so I think the thing that, mm-hmm. that made me sad about how the Jasper fallout was handled was that it really reads like the choice was made to contain that fallout to Monty. But the problem with that is that there is not a way for there to be a moment where we saw Clark have an emotion, like have a reaction to not just the death of Jasper, but everything Jasper was going through that she missed. You know, like all of the things that were happening to Jasper, Mm -hmm. this person that she cared about so deeply, and how kind of checked the fuck out she was from that. So I feel like I would be able to sort of, I would be able to forgive a lot, or, or it would help sort of reframe a lot if... For example, just head cannoning. You know, not telling Jason how to write his show, but just an idea. <laughs> is, you know, like <laughs> if Clark comes across Jasper's letter, like if Jasper's letter did make it to the lab and I don't know, Bella Dennis on the floor or ja- or Monty left his bag behind, or like if it's there in some way and she finds it. And we see in one of the season five flashbacks, like we see her reading it. You know, and she breaks down. And then later when we see her like carving all the names onto her gun belt, that we take a moment of watching her write Jasper's name. That would do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see Clark have a response to the loss of Jasper and and not just in and of himself, but of, you know, as, as I guess as a way of like reconnecting her with what happens when she is so removed from what's going on emotionally with people that she's close to that Jasper went on this entire sort of journey into self-destructiveness of which she wasn't a part at all. And I and I understand mm-hmm. that's because yeah. again, yeah. like everyone is sort of boxed into their own separate storylines. But the idea of somebody like the Clark we meet in season one, and uh, you know, like the idea of a person like that having somebody so close to them be suicidal to the magnitude that Jasper is and have her not even attempt to kind of connect with him or or talk to him or do anything about it or seem to care really except insofar as he sort of bumps into her own storyline in other places doesn't feel like an authentic reaction from somebody like Clark Griffin and it like it, it feels like plot driving character it feels like there isn't time to let this be as messy as in real life it would be messy because all of these characters have, you know, Jasper got no closure with Octavia and no closure with Raven, who are two characters for, with whom he had big storylines in the past that were centered around his grief, you know, and we got none of that. Octavia doesn't even right. know. Well, and again, it's because it's because him his death is not a story. His death yeah, is the end of a exactly. story rather than there is no story about his death, basically. Like they're not right. they're not going to tell the story about his death or what that means to the people who lost him. That's just, that's just not a story they're telling. This is why I'm saying when, when you lose someone, when someone commits suicide, that is the start of a story about their absence, basically. And like what we never get to see here and in commonly, but here, especially, you know, we're talking about this, we're in this, in this show with, with Jasper, we're never going to get to see the story about his absence. And to me, like, that's just like, that just, that compounds the tragedy of his death. Because, you know, suicide is such a self, self-negating, self self-erasing act. You know, like you're removing yourself from the world because you don't think that there's any, there's enough payoff or there's any point in you existing. And like one of the few things that can help that or, or one of the few, the few things that can, that can any way give that meaning or something, have it be something other than just horrific and tragic and horrible is for that death to have meaning. You know, for the loss of them to be felt and reflected. 
Like, that's the thing that keeps me alive when I'm suicidal, is, like, remembering I know for an objective truth that if I were gone, yeah. I would leave a hole in the world that for some people would not be healable. That's what keeps me alive, is knowing that, like, is, is knowing even when I don't believe it that that's true. And that's why I am so upset that we don't get to see the hole that Jasper left in the world. Yeah. Because I think it's really important to show that. And it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There is no hole in this world that's shaped like Jasper. And that's the part that bothers me. Yeah. The sort of downside of the device of this time jump, which I think in some contexts I think is great. And Jasper's the one where I feel like I'm the most, I feel like we lost the most. It's like, I do, like, I do think it's really interesting and I am really sort of excited to see a vision of, you know, for all these characters that have been so sort of shaped by loss, who are they so far into the future that, like, the real sting of a lot of those losses has receded and has sort of become just kind of like a part of the story of who they Mm -hmm. are, you know, Lexa and Lincoln and Finn, you know, and all of these, you know, characters, the loss of whom really profoundly shaped people, you know, like, like, who is Clark, you know, like, six years out with, like, the gap of time between her and those losses so much bigger than the length of time that she knew any of those people so so for a mm-hmm. lot of these characters I'm really interested to see who is this new version of Octavia you know six years without Bellamy but also six years away from the pain of losing Lincoln you know in this whole other sort of role and the one place where I just really feel like where I I, I think I find it really unsatisfying because the loss wasn't sufficiently addressed leading up to it is that I'm really sad at the thought of six years, you know, six years hence, Clark and Monty and everybody else with Jasper having already sort of faded into memory because we didn't get, we didn't get with Jasper what we got with Lincoln, which is like a really deep look at how that loss permanently shaped Octavia, you know, over a long period of time. I mean, like Like, there's, you know, all over. To live inside Octavia's grave. Yeah. I mean, like the second half of, you know, there's like an entire season, second half of, of season three and the first half of season four, at least if not most of season four that are like, there are giant holes in this world that are shaped like Lincoln and Lexa and they change everything for everyone in a whole bunch of different ways personally but then also for Lexa you know politically but like everything changes you know everything around them you know is shaped by the sort of gap they left behind you know Finn same thing like Finn's death was like palpable like his loss was really palpable for a lot of characters and again not just plot but also in terms of like Clark and Raven it changed who they were you know like Wells did that for Clark in season one you know so there are characters and like Wells and and Finn are both characters you know from whom for the most part we've we've moved past right like they're they're not you know they're called back a little bit now but like they've most characters have sort of moved past them but but the impact of their de- their deaths was there mm-hmm. and and Jasper's just never going to get that you know and yeah yeah I'm just never I'm just never going to be okay with that I have learning to accept it I but know. I'm never I going know. to be okay yeah. with it I, I agree. And I think I think that there are things that they could do sort of retroactively in flashback that would help mitigate that in the long term. But I but I yeah, I do I feel like the fact that in the moment when it happened and in the immediate aftermath, what we got of Jasper felt like sort of the worst case scenario for what we like were afraid we would get for Jasper, which is that it happens and then it's immediately over and everybody moves on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, um so that was the sad Jasper detour. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so do we have, shall we go back to Monty, Monty and Murphy? <laughs> what I loved so much about, like, 
This episode was so funny. Like there was so much really great humor and levity in it. In addition to like the sort of emotional heart of it and how high the action stakes were. Like there were so many kind moments that were sort of like delightful, you know. And and one of those was you know <laughs> sort of this this new version of of Murphy who's like so deeply connected to these people, you know. And like like Murphy like Murphy being like such a gossip, you know, and being like so like. Tell me all about Harper. Like, are you guys serious? He <laughs> said, I love you yet? You know, like, to, like, distract Monty from um, the fact that, like, his hands are covered in, like, radiation burns. Which is, like, such a, like, it was so hilarious. It's like, who, who are you? Like, who is this guy? This is not John Murphy. But it was just so, like, it was just really endearing. But, like, and the sort of, like, you know, acknowledgement from him that he has been, like, changed by loving Amori. And that, like, he's, like, wants to, like, bond with Monty over, like, how great girlfriends are I was like oh my god this is so fucking cute I could just die you know like it was just so it was just I was really just really lovely I was like I you know like I'm and I'm excited to get hopefully like a lot more of that dynamic in season five yeah no I thought that was like a really adorable dynamic and and just like when Bellamy and Murphy go back to get Monty just like the moment of like Murphy being like oh he gets a hug and then Monty saying like I think I maybe don't hate you now and, and Bellamy says give it time and I'm just like this is like so sweet and hilarious and like these three guys you know like I'm imagining you know the arc bromance among them just awkwardly blooming over time yeah. like I was just like these little like sort of character connection moments which were just like so delightful I just I loved all of them and and I love that we're getting sort of an f- actual acknowledgement of how, what a fucking badass Monty is. Like that moment when, you know, like pulling off the glove and reaching mm-hmm. in there to take off thing was just like a holy shit, like only Monty would t- would make that move kind of moment. You know, lifting up the, the you know, the machine with it. Like even Murphy was impressed. You know, I had kind of that moment. He's like, wow, you're kind of a, a secret badass. And he's like, yeah. well, I knew he was a badass. <laughs> but I just love Monty getting to be like action superhero. So do you want to talk about, like, Amori and Harper a little bit? Uh, Like, I don't, you know, other than, again, other than just sort of, like, my general love of Amori and her no-nonsense acceptance of everything that's going on and just being like, you want me to fix a face spaceships? Sure, whatever. Just, like, give me some tools and send me in there. She's awesome and she's going to be great at space. I'm just super happy about that. (laughs) I really, I think one of the, like, one of the sort of little, you know, stealth highlights of this episode for me was that, you know, like, for, I mean, since... Since last season, I feel like you and I have been saying how much we love the idea of a potential Amori-Raven bromance. Like, this sort of, like, sassy tech squad lady team-up. And I and I feel like not only did we like get that in spades with this in this episode, you know, and and in like some moments, like they were in they were in a science storyline together before where like Amori's sort of understanding of technology was kind of like tangentially relevant, mm-hmm. but like became deeply, deeply relevant here. But also sort of the prospect of like six years of that. I'm just like, yeah. oh my god, they're gonna be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just like all I want, all I want. Well, this is not at all, at all true. All I want really from Amori, that's not even true. (laughs) One thing I would really, really, really like in season five, just give me one scene of Raven and Amori sassing Murphy together. And I will, like, die a happy woman. I just, because, like, can you imagine them, like, tag team sassing Murphy? 
I just like and Murphy like acting grumpy but secretly loving it because you know he would. I just like well, and especially because like what I love about Amori's role in this storyline and sort of what it what I think it bodes for season five, which I think is so great and also says so much about you know how Murphy has grown too. Is like the reason that Murphy would be totally into it if Amori and Raven were like sassing him together is because of the sort of implicit statement that that makes that Amori belongs with them now. Yeah, yeah. You know the thing that motivates them to go on the like rescue raven road trip is not like like i don't i don't think that it's not at all concerned for raven and wanting to help but it's it's largely framed as being about like abby can promise that she can put murphy's name in the hat she can't promise that she can put amori's name in the hat and she definitely can't promise either their names are going to get picked yeah so like there's no like even for Murphy, there's no guarantee. And for Amori, there's really, really no guarantee. We all saw what happened with Nyla. And so like, so the the sort of, okay, we're going to have to find kind of an alternate way to survive because there really is no place for Amori among their people. So the thing that I like about the way Amori was sort of woven into this episode without a ton of forward plot trajectory really for her, it was immediately clear in a way that I think was handled really nicely with without a ton of, of sort of meat necessarily on those bones. Plot wise, we can already see that Amori is an invaluable addition to this team. Yes. You know, and and that they they landed there sort of accidentally, you know, by like coming along for this ride to, you know, go rescue Raven that ended up turning into a very different kind of mission. Like they didn't set out to like help retrofit a rocket to get everybody to space. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I think that I think what's really cool is the sort of the way that everything about who Amori is, like her personality, her skill set, you know, her sort of level of fluency with technology that we really see in contrast to like, you know, like Echo does not have, you know, like, like the, the difference between like Echo and Amori's little faces when Raven unbuckles and goes into zero G and yeah. Echo is just like looking at her like, what the fuck? And Amori is like, oh my God, like, like she just like lights up, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so I feel like, you know, Amorphe being some who is used to having to survive in difficult situations is used to being kind of socially isolated not much phases her mm-hmm. you know she's a survivor and you know and she has like we know you know she has this experience with their sort of a level of understanding of technology and how technology works that makes her sort of I guess sort of at an at a kind of intermediary place between where the grounders are and where Sky Crew is, where she's kind of in the middle and can kind of bridge those, like tech wise. So it was really great to see, you know, to see the way that she so kind of effortlessly integrates into, you know, into the work team, getting things done, how quickly she picks things up, you know, really understanding like on the arc she's gonna be like a major player in how this sort of storyline moves forward. But also like for Murphy to see that, you know, for Murphy mm-hmm. to realize that Amori has a place which is the thing that has been causing him a lot of consternation as he tries to kind of reassimilate with the sky people you know and and there and many of them are sort of like tangentially ready to kind of like make an attempt at making space for him but he doesn't want to be there if Amori can't be there too mm-hmm. so so I just I so I really liked that both Murphy's Murphiness and Amori's Amoriness ended up being you know exactly what the storyline needed you know it's because Murphy is Murphy and he's Mr. Survive at all costs that he was kind of like all 
right, Monty, I'm really, really sorry, bro. I got to get this piece of machinery back. You know, which Monty later is like, yes, that was the exact right thing to do, mm-hmm, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and a different person might have lost too much time trying to revive Monty or bringing Monty back to see if they can get Monty, you know, and then come back from the machine. Like there's all kinds of ways that a different person might have made a different set of choices that could have gone wrong mm-hmm. and, or not have been the right choice. And so it's like Murphy's kind of cockroachness was the exact right thing that was needed in that moment and Amori like all of the things that have sort of shaped who she is you know and and her sort of experience with like with Allie with technology all that kind of stuff makes her somebody that they're really going to need on the arc you know so I just so I really loved you know and that was all kind of conveyed without a ton of space for them like that was all sort of like there's not the big kind of moving the stakes of the story forward was almost almost entirely on Clark Bellamy Raven. You yeah. Know? And everyone yeah. else was sort of like in in a kind of like sort of a secondary ring around that playing sort of smaller, I, I think, roles. But every, you know, every one of those, you know, I think kind of gave us a picture of on the arc in this sort of six years that we're going to see, you know, in bits and pieces and flashbacks, the roles that they'll, you know, that they'll all play with the exception of Echo, who I think we should come back to. But for Amori in particular, it was just really nice to sort of feel like in a a weird way given that like the side effect of it is like the utter destruction of the entire planet part of me was like is this like the happiest Amori's ever been like is this like Amori's (laughs) like best case life scenario in a weird way it's like this is actually like a huge win for Amori because she has a role and a purpose and a community and she's useful and she belongs and she has Murphy and he's okay you know and they love each other and they're like this totally established unit and she's getting past her kind of her reservations about Sky Crew being just totally cynical garbage people. You know, like my, I think my favorite, actually, my favorite Amori moment of the whole episode was that Amori was the one who's like, um, oh my fucking God, can you wait for Clark for one more minute? Like, I love that that coming from Amori of <laughs> yes. all people towards Clark of all people. I was like, this is beautiful character development. Well, I mean, you know, and it calls back to the moment in, you know, 412 when Clark gives up her helmet for Amori, you know? I yeah. mean, that was really a moment when Amori realized like I think Amori realized like this crew is her crew you know they're not sky crew you know they're not they're not one of those big sort of faceless groups who are making these giant decisions about whether to remove her from their gene pool or whatever like they know her and she knows them and they've like they've done all these things big and small throughout the last few episodes you know to to reaffirm that like like Clark giving her the helmet like your life has value to us you know, like right, keeping exactly. you alive and on the team is a priority for us. Whether or yeah. not it's like the most expedient thing for each of us individually or for the group or whatever, like we are like, we're your crew now, therefore we're going to get you up into that ring alive. And so I think for Mori, like she's, you know, she never has had a crew. And I think she has that deep inherent distrust of sort of like societies in the abstract, which she, you know, for good reason. So I think the reason why she can't have that trust is because like, this is not like now she's part of Sky Crew. It's like these other seven people, this, this is her crew. These are the people that she trusts, you know, like she looks at them and she knows she has a place with them. Yeah. Which is also just like, I mean, you know. I basically love everything about this (laughs) storyline. And that's another one of those things that I just really, really love. You know, like that's another one of those little ways where it's like, yeah, we're moving past these old clan boundaries, these old, you know, and like this is another way that's happening. Like this group, you know, is is like such a motley crew, you know, like um, maybe that should be their crew name, Motley Crew. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Forever! 
in two minutes. <laughs> Starting with the hair metal puns. Uh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like there's Imori who has no clan and there's Asgada and, you know, there's Clark and Bellamy who have always been the kind of like core of the delinquents and there's Murphy who's gotten kicked out. You know, like how many times has Murphy been kicked out of wherever, you know, or kicked exactly. himself out? Yeah. And we have Monty and Harper who have always been, you know, kind of a core part of the of the delinquents but like last season Harper and Monty were on opposite sides of the Pike thing you know so they're all just sort of they've all been in different they've all had different loyalties you know conflicting loyalties at different times and but they've come together to kind of uh, and then Raven of course who wasn't originally one of the delinquents at all you know sort of had Mm. to keep like choosing her people and who and she never had a family like Finn was her family she lost Finn you know so the part of me that is always 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 a sucker most of all before everything else a sucker for found family is just like so deeply like pleased and happy and satisfied by this little this little found family like these people Mm -hmm. these specific people who you know are coming together to save each other You know, and in that sense, I think if we want to talk about Echo, so like Echo was like another, you know, besides the the weird Bindi thing, Echo, I I think was at least definitely the first time I watched the episode and a little bit the second time, although I'm sort of, I'm coming around, was, was the only other false note for me. She was like the only person, the only sort of like bit of this storyline, this episode where I was like, I don't really get what's your deal is like I didn't I didn't yeah. and you just sort of like it would cut to Echo and she's kind of off on her own thing and I was like okay and I think like obviously that's on purpose because she she feels separate you know like whereas Amori right. now kind of looks around and goes like all right this is my crew we're yeah we're getting the spaceship ready we're gonna we're gonna go to space you know she's kind of like she she feels like she belongs now like Amori very very palpably feels like an outsider period you know like being ban mm-hmm. being um, banished by Roan is had this huge lasting emotional impact on her, like losing her people, you know, for doing something that she was doing for them. You know, she she knows that she doesn't really have a place with this group. You know, she knows that, I think she feels like at any moment she could be cast out. Um, she's mm-hmm. just sort of like clinging on to them as her last chance. And she doesn't know where she's going to fit. And of course, she's like so deeply uncomfortable with the technology, you know, and so all right. of, that, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. that makes sense. Like, from a character perspective, her reactions make sense. I think I was just sort of unclear, and I'm still unclear about, like, story-wise, I'm, like, I'm not really entirely sure why she's there, or, like, what her, what that perspective was bringing to everything else that was going on. Other than, I mean, I think she's there for, and, and to some extent, I think arguably she has always been there this season for Bellamy's character development. Right. Because like the, her huge moment in this episode is really, you know, Bellamy's huge, uh, you know, big Bellamy moment where, you know, they're about to take off and she's not there. And he stops her from committing like ritual harakiri, you know, like suicide. Right. And, you know, and basically like flat out tells her like, you know, yeah, I don't trust you, but you're a part of this group. You're getting on that ship. We're taking off. It basically tells you, I don't, you know, like, yes, like we're not, we're not hundred percent cool, but you have a place in this group, which I do think sort of thematically with everything else what we're talking about, like sort of found family and these people sort of like choosing each other and, and even like Monty and sort of 
and Murphy having this conflict and then overcoming it. There is something sort of thematically, I think, really that I that I do really, really like a lot in having a moment of like there is one person who doesn't quite fit with whom there's still tension and uncertainty. And in the face of that, rather than clinging to suspicion or, you know, distrust or whatever, mistrust or, or letting sort of like suspicion and mistrust kind of allow them to dehumanize her and leave her behind, you know, Bellamy's kind of able, and this is like a huge thing for Bellamy if you think about where he started in season three, Bellamy's able to say like, yeah, you know, this is uncertain. I don't really trust you, but like, I see you, you're a person, you have skills, I see your value, you're coming with us. Like, I think, you know, for for the Bellamy who was, who, you know, went with Pike out to that battlefield out of like fear of grounders who had such deep mistrust of grounders, I think for him to kind of have that moment of seeing past allegiances and say like, look, we all got to stick together. I feel like that is a really kind of like humongous moment for him as a character and for, for the just kind of like general theme of like, like Clark says, you know, survival is a, is a team sport, you know, like this is the team. Mm -hmm. And the only way you build a team is by looking at your teammates and being like, look, we have to set everything else aside and work together and trust each other to work together. Yeah. You know, like so much of it is a, is a choice. So in that sense, if I think about it in terms of like what that, the way that that interaction kind of like put a bow on Bellamy's development over the course of the season, I like it. Yeah. What do you think? I agree with what you're saying. I think my biggest question mark with Echo is I, um, I think because, because of what you're saying about like that really like her, you know, her arc over the course of this season, it was about Bellamy, but I didn't quite understand what it was about Bellamy. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't quite get like what, you know, like it, it's never, it's never read to me like setting up something that's sort of romantic or sexual. I think it's sort of like a mutual kind of mistrust combined with she has this kind of like fascination with him where like whatever kind of rules Echo has internally about how she feels about Sky Crew, Bellamy is always the exception to that rule. And that's kind yeah. of the one the sort of consistent through line. I still wrestle a little bit with like with what that means. And and I also feel like she's the one, you know, like of all of them where I feel I have the most ambiguity, I guess, about who this arc version of her will be. You know, like where everyone yeah. else I I feel like the picture of it is very, very clear, you know, like yeah. for, you know, obviously for, you know, Bellamy and Raven are sort of established by the end of it as like, these two are going to be the leaders of this squad. Obviously like Raven and Monty, you know, and then also, you know, Amori are going to be the three who are the most involved in like the technological components of how they sort of establish what their survival plan is, but they also have Harper and Murphy who are going to end up, you know, like being sort of assigned jobs and, you know, and are like hard workers and are smart and they know the arc and they know the way around it and they understand its technology and they understand how things work there. You know, we don't know a lot about their, well, it's less of Harper than of Murphy of their backstory when they live there, but like they're back in a place where they live. Mm-hmm. So all of those characters, like either their, either their role is clear or their familiarity with the environment is going to make them useful assets, or like Amori has this other sort of set of kind of tech skills that they've already begun to really leverage in an interesting and new way. And Echo is the big question mark because she, 
when she put on the white face paint, which I think I, you know, I think the way it was sort of framed in that weird kind of standing in the shadows way, um, you know, like, like Kelsey and I watching the episode together, we're both like, oh my God, is she going to like, is she going to murder somebody? Like, what is she like? (laughs) I think on some level, I guess I feel like the ritual suicide part of it makes some sense to me in terms of like, you know, like Echo is a person who I think really clearly hates change, is really sort of bound by like, like this is the way I'm used to doing things. You know, mm-hmm, like this is mm-hmm. this is how I have learned what it means to be a person, what it means to be a warrior, what it means to be Ice Nation. And and so there's something I think fundamentally like there's something potentially really interesting in the idea of like, you know, of all of those people, Echo is the one who has who has lost the most of anything that she could possibly be tethered to. You know, like, Bellamy's the only person that she has a connection with, but it isn't really a relationship. Yeah. You know, he's just the one person there who doesn't immediately want to kill her. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, pretty one-sided. You know, I think she, she very yeah. clearly, it's clear the connection she feels to him. You know, it's pretty clear that she thinks that she's, like a little bit in awe of him you know he keeps doing uh-huh. things yeah. of course he keeps sort of like offering her kindness that she doesn't expect which mm-hmm. is sort of like disarming to her yeah you know because because he he really does have every reason to hate her you know and and mm-hmm. she and she sort of i think expected him to so the fact that he keeps saying like yeah i don't trust you but like i need you come on you know mm-hmm. when when she tricked him and with the result that gina died and when, you know, and when she almost killed Octavia, this sort of like unearned grace that he keeps offering her is not something mm-hmm. that she has any familiarity with, you know, especially considering like, like Rowan banished her, you know, yeah. condemned her to death away from her people because she like broke the rules, you know, <laughs> because she like mm-hmm. dishonored, you know. So, so for Bellamy yeah. to be like, well, you know, like, yeah, we're not, we're not cool, but like you're a person is mm-hmm. so tremendous to her. But it is much, much less clear to me why Bellamy does that. You know, it's like much less clear to me what he sees in her or why. I mean, other than the fact that like, like Bellamy is just not ever going to be a person who's going to be like, cool, kill yourself, whatever. You know, like he was never, there's no way that, that, that Bellamy, particularly Bellamy in that mode, you know, particularly Bellamy after Clark was like, here's why you're great. And he's like, I got my mojo back. Pep talks for everyone. You know, like there's no possible way that like that Bellamy in the mode that he was in there was ever going to do anything other than be like, suit up, let's go. Exactly. I don't think it was, it wasn't personal. You know, I don't think that that was like personally about Echo. It was just more about him looking at Echo and doing for her what he would have done for just about anybody else in that situation. So so, yeah, so, I mean, I don't, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really see this having any particular, like, romantic anything right now, you know, which is not to say that, like, they couldn't, that Becco couldn't happen in space, you know, six years is a long time and who knows. Exactly. But I don't, I don't see any of that really in there right now. Yeah, it does, it does not feel to me in any way like that as, at any point of what we've seen so far has ever been what they're setting up. No, it doesn't feel like that to me either. And it's one of those things where like if we come back after six years and like it turns out that they have had a relationship or whatever, like I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because I feel like uh-huh. that is an open, there are plenty of like, like you said, Echo's primary relationship right now is to Bellamy. So like who else is that going to develop with? I, I don't think at all that that's, going to be like it is not at all developing is something that's going to be like end game 
but I think like I was I was talking about this on Twitter with some people because there's a lot of there's you know there's some folks in the Blark fandom who are like who are very unhappy about the fact that Echo is still alive, um, <laughs> who would prefer that she were not in space with Bellamy, you know, and I think. Like I said, when I first watched this the first couple of times, like my, the, you know, I was just sort of like, why is, I, I also was sort of like, why is Echo here? Like, I am not at all clear on what she's contributing to, you know, she's, she's there. Like they're giving her enough attention that clearly this, she's important. She's important to Bellamy, but it wasn't really clear what she had to do with the plot. You know, it wasn't really clear. Right, what, right. Yeah. Like it wasn't really clear what she was meant to be developing other than herself, which is just kind of like weird, you know, like it felt a little bit weird in this like storyline that is basically all about like delinquent team coming back together callbacks to have like and now yeah. some echo character development you're like a but right. okay so so i was also a little bit like huh but you know and one of those fun things that happens when like you get into a conversation with with some people where you wind up taking like i wound up being on the side of i don't think echo's so bad i think maybe this could be interesting i wound up sort of like arguing for the position that i didn't start out holding and wound up <laughs> talking myself into being a little bit more like okay I could you know like I'm interested in Becco and I think it is because like well part of it is just because like you know I love Bellamy Blake so like I can sympathize with anyone who looks at Bellamy and is like he is the greatest person like I mean I totally I can totally sympathize with a character who's in love with Bellamy exactly like same girl same you know so tag yourself I'm Echo (laughs) exactly so from that perspective I'm like it's completely logical to me that she thinks he's the BB's <laughs> and uh, I think I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by the possibility because like there hasn't really been a character other than Clark who like you know looks at Bellamy and is like you're amazing you know or like he sort of like recognizes what makes him exceptional in that way and so like being being a fan of Bellamy I'm perfectly happy to have someone who's you know a character who's just like a fan of Bellamy but I think it also is really interesting in terms of she's interesting as a kind of foil to or mirror to the kind of best parts of Bellamy and so I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of how her loyalty to Bellamy might develop, you know, and not in a not in a necessarily romantic way. But I was when I was talking about it on Twitter, um, and I know you haven't watched The Expanse yet, but I started watching The Expanse uh, last couple of weeks, which everyone should watch it. It's amazing. It's awesome. But there's this really interesting pair of characters named Naomi and Amos, and like they have a relationship that's very different from it's it's unique, I think, kind of in in TV, especially between opposite gender characters who are canonically attracted to the opposite gender um where like they're really really close and important to each other but in not in a romantic way not in a sexual way not even really in a fraternal way um but like basically like amos this character like he he will do anything that naomi tells him to do he will do and he will not do anything she tells him not to do he will do he will like do anything to protect her he will kill anyone without a thought um, you know, he's just like really, really deeply, profoundly devoted to her and she's very protective of him. And the reason why he is so devoted to her, like one of the things he says is, is that she is so good. Anything that she says is the right thing to do, he believes it must be the right thing to do. And he has mm-hmm. such faith mm-hmm. in her. He's like, you know, at one point he tells a character like, I, you know, I don't know what's right. But if she's telling me, if she tells me what to do, if she tells me it's right, then it must be. You know, so he mm-hmm. just like looks at her as this like, you know, he knows that he he doesn't have the capacity to sort of make these judgments. Yeah. 
you know, he has the capacity for a great deal. You know, he can do a lot of really, you know, sort of like violent, destructive things. He doesn't really have the capacity for that kind of judgment. He kind of needs someone. He needs someone to point him, to direct him, to give him meaning and sort of like rules and parameters and whatever. And, you know, and, and his faith in her and her goodness is just so deep that she's that person for him. And they also have like, they have a personal history. They've been together for a long time. And, you know, she, you know, she understands him in a way that, you know, other people don't. But, like, I could see, you know, I'd be intrigued by Bellamy and Echo sort of developing something like that, you know, or, like, this this relationship where, like, he understands her in a way that other people don't. She kind of has this, like, I I guess it would almost be, like, a version of he is, he becomes her new Rowan, you know? Like, she needs someone whose life it is, it is hers to protect and sort of, and whose will it is to carry out. That's how she's been trained. I could see yeah. Bellamy being that for her, you know? I was actually, I was thinking that as you, as you were talking, like, I think, you know, the the one, I think, kind of most consistent character trait that we've seen throughout of, of every iteration of Echo, you know, like Echo, like, helping Bellamy and Matt Weather after he helps her and, you know, and her, and then the way that she, like, betrays him in season three and then all of the sort of, like, complexity of her relationship with Roan in season four, you know, I think that she is a person who, what little of her backstory we've gotten and of kind of how she was trained by Naya, you know, like who sort of what she what she believes that it means to be, you know, to be a person, to be a leader. She's sort of hardwired to see herself as a lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. She believes herself to be sort of like, um, that her role is to be some other better, stronger more qualified person's second in command, you know, and, yeah. or, or, um, you know, to be somebody like she, that she wants to be somebody's right hand person that they rely on, but yeah. she does not in any way seem to like aspire to leadership or to, you know, necessarily see herself as like, as like worthy of, of that. You know, I think she's sort of, so I think you're right. I think that there could be sort of an element of like, is she looking for a new kind of person to be the lieutenant to? And is part of her journey over the next six years with Bellamy, potentially, which could be really interesting, what does a more kind of emotionally independent version of Echo look like? You know, like, yeah. what would, who would Echo be if she found a place for herself among a group of people that didn't require that she be that she that didn't require that she be to Bellamy what she was to Roan and to Naya, which is the like, you know, the one loyal right hand sort of fighting everybody off, you know, like in a in a less, I think, politically kind of cutthroat world, like how how could Echo be just like a member of a team with skills and like a contribution of her own, instead of feeling like you know, the hand of the king kind of position, you know. So I so I'm yeah. really interested in, you know, in kind of how how she evolves. And I think of all those characters in this grouping, she's the character about whom I who's sort of the biggest question mark of like who she's gonna be, what these changes are gonna mean for her, how she's gonna adjust to life on on the arc and life with, you know, like absolutely nothing, you know, like no connection back to her to her clan, really. You know, like, we haven't seen her have any relationships with anyone else in, in Ice Nation except for Ronan and Naya. And it's interesting because I think, you know, she's kind of almost the perfect opposite of Amori because Echo is, is a person who, she derives all of, like, the meaning of her life from her identification with her group 
and yes. with her sort of like role and her and her protection of that group and its values. You know, so I think it's really it is interesting in the sense that like, you know, looking at like what happens when you take a person like that and strip them of that identity entirely, like obliterate mm-hmm. it. It's not mm-hmm. there. Like, you know, she needs she's a person who needs a group affiliation and a a leader to kind of like give her identity and meaning. And it is really interesting to see like, okay, so now like if she's not as Gitta, if she's now Motley Crue, um, (laughs) I'm going to make this happen. Yes. (laughs) If she's now Motley Crue, you know, like how does that reshape her? You know, like how does she change as she takes on the sort of values of that group, you know, like how does she change as she sort of adapts to like, like if Bellamy sort of becomes the new Rowan in terms of, you know, like this is her leader from whom she takes orders. You know, she does what he tells her to do because she trusts that it's right. You know, like how does, how do Bellamy's very different expectations from like Naya's or Rowan's um, reshape her? And we even saw this season, her struggle to adjust to the ways that like Rowan's vision of kingship were different from Naya's. You know, she was still trying yeah. to sort of like please him and do things as she understood the, you know, the king of Asgada would want them to be done based on Naya. And Rowan kept having to say like, that was my mother. This is me. I don't do that. You know, this is not mm. what we stand for anymore. And Amori really struggled with that. You know, so this is that on a much, much huger scale. So yeah, in that sense, I'm sort of like, I'm curious to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, I'm like, I didn't think, you know, when I, when I was watching last night, I never thought I would talk myself around into being interested in Echo's <laughs> character arc in the six year time jump, but somehow it's happened. So, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, yeah, I really, I really am just because I feel like she's the one where it's like, I just don't have any idea what they're yeah, going to do no, with her. Yeah, it's just like a huge question mark. It's a huge question mark. And and so I feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential for it to go to many different interesting places. I do, I do wish, you know, if as they were sort of breaking story up, you know, as they were writing this season, knowing at the beginning of it, as they must have, that Echo was going to be a person who like, was on the sort of like final end squad set up to play what presumably will be a way bigger role in season five, mm-hmm. you know, with them all sort of together in this kind of confined space. I wish I think on some level that we had gotten more over the course of this season of Echo as herself, like like not not Echo in reaction to Bellamy, but like Echo a little bit more of her, I guess, sort of interior life. Yeah. You know? I, I think she's a character who frequently got used a lot to move plot forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the number of sort of like slow down and kind of like crack up in the hood and look what's going on underneath moments for her in comparison to somebody like Amori, for example. Mm-hmm. Like we got a lot this season of what it is like to be Amori, of her backstory, of who she is, of how she sees the world, of how she sees these characters. And she didn't have, like, an enormous part. You know, like, she's still, like, she's a supporting character. Um, But what we did get of her left us at the end of it with a far clearer and more complete picture of, like, the totality of who Amori is as a person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with Echo, a lot of the content that we got with Echo felt like it was, like, she existed to expedite either plot 
or an emotional moment for Bellamy that I wish we could have also sort of dug into those things of her on her own. And I wonder if maybe the suicide moment was sort of meant to be that and and it sort of just didn't quite work for me like on its own merits as that like that wasn't that wasn't enough to sort of give us a picture of of how she feels about being exiled for example yeah you know like we see you know her like sad broken little face after Rowan you know like sends her out of the room and then we see her try to sort of like scheme her way out of being exiled you know when she confronts Octavia and Indra later and tries to sort of blackmail them and then gets like surprise reverse blackmailed (laughs) you know um but like so so again so we got some sort of like like plot forward moving moments but like this was really the first time we've sort of taken a second to kind of sit with the emotional stakes for Echo of feeling like She's lost everything. She has no place left. She has no people left. She has no connections left. And even though he exiled her, her loyalty to like she's like that she says that she says for my king is really interesting. You know, like that yeah. she's still like Roan is dead, theoretically. Roan is dead <laughs> in quote marks. <laughs> Roan's on that long Timmy's run in the sky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's working his way through the subway tunnels to go bang on Jaha's door. <laughs> but anyway, but um but so you know so he's gone and he also exiled her. So he's the reason that she's not in that bunker with the rest of her people. And and yet she's you know she still feels his loyalty to him because it's sort of like that's kind of her one I guess sort of connection left. So I so I feel like I I wonder if maybe the role of that suicide scene was was supposed to be to kind of like open her up to us a little bit and give us this picture of like, you know, Echo is a person who feels like she has lost everything that gives her any sense of who she is, any kind of, you know, connection to the world, and there's like nothing left and kind of, you know, fuck it. And that and that Bellamy once again being the person who saves her sort of like you know, solidifies the fact that her connection to these people remains sort of exclusively pretty much, I think, through him. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it might have landed on me more satisfactorily if I had felt like we had more moments like that of her inner life kind of all along the way. Because I feel like the number of times where I was sort of left wondering, like, what's Echo's deal exactly? Yeah, you know, kind of yeah. felt like that happened a lot. And I wanted, you know, like, I think, which I think is a, is also a mark of, like, you know, I will say, like, in total, like, full disclosure, like, Echo was one of those characters that I was very little interested in until I met Tasia at Unity Days, and now I'm just like, <laughs> okay, well, now I'm ready to love you, you know? And, um, you know, kind of like with Nyla, like, I like I liked Nyla, but then I, you meet Jess Harmon, and you're like, okay, well, now I love Nyla, you know? So, <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm ready for, like, I'm ready for more sort of richer, juicier, deeper, more complicated Echo plot in season five, and I'm hoping that we get it. I think a lot of the stuff in this finale the suicide scene in particular might have landed differently for me if I had felt like we had gotten more of that kind of all along the way with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting. no, I totally agree. I totally agree. It was one of those things where like you can sort of piece together the bits throughout to to figure out, you know, a direction forward, but it wasn't clear in the mm-hmm. moment. You know, kind of had to go back and do that work. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Is it time to talk about Brave and Lark? I think it's time to talk about Brave and Lark. <laughs> <laughs> this episode 
was so brave and lark. I was just like oh my God. floating on a cloud of happiness. Ugh. I just, it makes me, like there is no group on this show of characters that I love more than Brave and Lark. Like when those three are together and they're clicking, everything is great. You know, it's like all the best stuff happens when Bellamy and Clark and Raven are together. Like bickering with each other over what the right thing to do is or like, you know, like believing in each other so fucking hard. Like that's the thing that kills me about those three is that they all three of them believe in each other so much, you know, like, I mean, Raven is, like, honestly one of the best characters on TV, I think, like, hands down. I, she is 100%. Just, 100%. A, she is such yeah. an incredible character just all the way through. Like, I mean, she's just astonishing. I would have to say, to me, like, Raven's story this season was the best. Like, in terms of just, like, overall, but then also in terms of just, like, consistency. You know, like, like Octavia's, they, they stuck a really great landing with Octavia, but it was kind of rocky through the middle. But... Raven has just been, like, consistently great throughout. Yes. And I just, I mean, like, one of the things that's always been wonderful about Raven is that, like, as amazing and, like, brilliant and badass and incredible as she is, she's always so very vulnerable. You know, like, I think, mm -hmm. like, I see so much in Raven that is so realistic about, like, gifted kids, you know, like, really, yeah. really, really gifted kids, smart kids who have, who can do amazing things and also have this capacity to just beat the shit out of themselves anytime they can't do something right. You know, they just, like, yeah. they hold themselves, you know, Raven holds herself to such a high standard. Mm -hmm. And and she just, like, she really, truly can't see how exceptional she is because she always just keeps thinking about how she could be a little bit better. You know, and I just, like, I feel for her so much in that and I, like, identify mm -hmm. so much with her in that. And And, like, the beautiful thing is that, like, Clark... Like, from the moment that Raven hit the ground, Clark could always see, you know, that she mm -hmm. was incredible. And and Bellamy, I think, always, you know, has always been able to look at Raven and, like, has always believed in Raven, always been able to sort of, like, reach into her and bring out what's best in her. And, you know, so, to, like, just having those two, you know, like, like, those two believing so hard in Raven in the moments when Raven can't believe in herself is just always, like, such a beautiful thing to have. And so that moment, you know, like... Just that, like, I love that moment so much, you know, when everything's going wrong and the radio, the communications system is broken and Raven is, is giving up, you know, and she's just like, I can't, mm -hmm. I don't know how to fix this. I, I'm not smart enough. And that was like so heartbreaking. She's like, maybe if I was still, you know, if Allie was eating my brain, I could do yeah. this, but I'm not smart enough on my own. And it's just like, and, and, you know, like, I love the tag team, like Clark, Clark gives her the logic, you know, Clark looks at her mm -hmm. and says like, look. I can look at, I will point to you, I will point at examples from the past of when you've done this before. You know, it doesn't work. And then Clark giving that helpless look at Bellamy, like, this is your thing, you know? Like, you, like, okay, like, use that big heart. Go inspire people, you know? And then Bellamy just, I feel like that was very much a sort of callback to season one, this OG Bellamy. Like, the thing that he is so good at is, like, is inspiring people and looking at them and, and sort of motivating them. And, yeah, I just... I had a lot of brave and feels too. Like I love, I just, I <laughs> oh just like, yeah. Like, oh I'm, my God. I do love every permutation of that, of, of those three. Ugh, me too. There's a little moment when, when, um, that when Bellamy was like, his, was sort of finishing up his pep talk to Raven and Raven was, you know, thinking about it. And she's like, you can see a tear falling from Lindsay Morgan's face and Bellamy reaches out to, to, to like brush away the tear. And I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> oh, um, I know I had, I had, I had feels. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and I loved like, both with that and then like in him like hugging her at the end of the last episode, like when yeah. she thinks that they've left her to die. Like I, you know, like something that you and I have talked about a lot that we found so frustrating in the first half of season three was um, was how even though Bellamy and Raven have this, you know, extreme like closeness and, you know, work together so like so much and, you know, and have all of this sort of like history with each other from the first two seasons that, you know, in season three, like they're both in Arcadia and in totally different universes, you know? And so the yeah. show kind of like forgot about how deeply significant that relationship is to both of them um, really until kind of the whole sort of crew, you know, kind of came together. It's always really beautiful and emotional and wonderful for me when the show remembers that like between the two of them in particular, like the depth of their like mutual like trust and affection. And I think it's so important for a lot of reasons that Clark sort of stepped back and made Bellamy the person who sits down next to her and like is the one who's able to get through. Yeah, yeah. Both because Bellamy needed to sort of know that he could do that. Like Bellamy needed to, Mm -hmm. you know, have, but also like that, you know, as a sort of reminder that, like I think it's sort of a subtle little way of showing already kind of a shift in how Clark is a leader. You know, like there's a version of Clark from earlier in this season whose answer would have been like, Raven, we don't have time for this. Get it together. We have stuff to do. You know, like it's not that many episodes ago that you could picture, you know, like a sort of very like impatient, desperate, you know, like up against impossible circumstances, sort of lashing out at everyone, kind of emotionally distant version of Clark responding to Raven's um, emotional crisis by like pushing her harder yeah and and I think seeing her sort of like step back and kind of like give Bellamy the signal and Bellamy the big brother sort of sits down and he's just like hey like the thing that makes you exceptional was never Allie you know like yeah like the yeah, thing yeah. That she, the, the thing that she the most needed to hear you know from Bellamy and from Clark was the reminder that like even before Allie came along, like, even before she had this sort of, like, hyperdrive, you know, super genius brain, that she was still the smartest person any of them had ever met in their lives, and that Mm -hmm. she still had this whole set of skills that, you know, that were hers alone that defined who she was, that over and over and over and over and over again, she saved them from situations where she, where something needed to be fixed, and Raven was the only person who could fix it. Yes. You know, and that and that sometimes when things go wrong, it's because Raven's the only person who can fix this and Raven isn't here. Um, and so I just think it was really beautiful to see, you know, to sort of see that kind of unspoken connection between Clark and Bellamy or the realization that like Bellamy is a person that she needs for this moment right now, you know, and yeah. Bellamy needs to be the person who like they both sort of they all sort of needed it that. It sort of you know? drives home that like, you know, that that this is a team thing. This drives home the together, you know, that yeah. like everything yeah. that that you can't survive on your own, that you that no one person has every single thing that you that you need. No one no one has every capability that's necessary, you know, like yeah. Clark on her own can't do this. Bellamy on his own can't do this. Raven on her own can't do this. You know, like Monty on his own. They all need each other, you know, and but like of the the, the three core, you know, the sort of like Raven, Bellamy, Clark core, all three of them need each other. Yeah. And it also in s- different ways. In every combination. Yeah. And it also really I think sort of sets up like it's a that little moment is a really nice way of kind of establishing that, you know, during like during this time jump, sort of centering like 
Bellamy and Raven as a unit of which Clark, even absent, is like at the heart of that connection. Yes. Oh my God. That scene with that last scene with them looking down on Earth. Yes. God, I I was like, I'm just like, it was a wreck for the whole second half of this oh my episode. God. But I thought oh, it was so beautiful. So, yeah. so beautiful you know, that I, I'm so glad that they ended that, you know, on the arc with Bellamy and Raven, you know, sort of like affirming their commitment to each other you know there's there's sort of partnership that they're in this together that you know that they're but but like doing it through Clark you know they're both kind of like standing there Mm -hmm. mourning her together it's it's not just Bellamy sitting there all by himself you know like staring down there alone feeling sad that that like he's sharing his grief and like I was just so like I mean we know that Clark is alive but like Man, like, I'm just, like, I'm so emotional about the fact that, like, even though Bellamy thinks that Clark is dead, you know, like, she is still the thing that is motivating him. You know, he's saying, like, I can't let her have died in vain. I can't let her life Mm. and her death mean nothing, you know. And and him thinking about, like, the way that he's going to lead now. He's going to remember that speech that she gave to him. You know, he's going to be thinking about Mm. what Clark would be doing, you know, like, what she would, you know, like, I just... Like, she's going to be, Clark is going to be so present up there, I think. Yeah. For Bellamy yeah. and for Raven and for everybody else. But for Bellamy exactly. and Raven, I think yeah, they yeah. will always be, you know, she'll always be there. And so, yeah. So, like, just that that trio, that triangle. Like, I just, I think it's so amazing and it works so well. And I think, you know, like, that that sort of, I'm, I'm also really, that's, that's a dynamic I'm really, really interested in seeing how it develops. Bellamy and Raven's dynamic you know like clearly they're being set up to be kind of like co-leaders on the arc you know and I can see like I mean you know Bellamy being kind of like in charge of like decision making you know and 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 Raven more in charge of of sort of execution because that's kind of like where they tend to be comfortable but I think you know Raven has taken sort of stepped up and and taken a lead in leadership as well this season so I'm really glad that they kind of they closed out that arc that started at the beginning with Raven being forced to step up and making hard decisions, you know, and now she's going to be up there with yeah. Bellamy doing it. And, and like, that's another one of those things in terms of speculation of, like, there is, is you know, there's a bunch of people up on that arc, you know, six years is a long time to be celibate. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I would not, this, Bellamy and Raven is, are, are, is another relationship that I could see developing. And it's one of those things where it's, like, I would hate for there to be any, like, hint of a love triangle among the three of them, given the Finn thing. So, again, the really, the way to solve any love triangle is just with a polyamorous triad. So let's just yeah. lean into Brave and Lark Endgame. I think that this is the yeah. best possible solution of all I things. think so, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like this would be one of those, like, this would, like, unite the entire fandom, I feel like. I, I think so, too. And anyone who doesn't like Brave and Lark is wrong. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to double down on that. <laughs> <laughs> the the other facet of this that we haven't talked about that I also do want to touch on is the sort of glorious resurgence of Princess Mechanic. Yes. Ugh. Which makes me so happy. Which was made me so happy because that's a dynamic that I feel like, you know, like we got some great sort of bits of it at the beginning with that. I think it's a two or three where they have the big sort of like they're sort of fighting about like resources and what to do. And so we got some great kind of juicy sort of conflict between the two of them at the beginning of the season. And then they were separated for big long chunks of it. And even when Clark kind of came into the Science Island storyline, it was a lot of like the two of them in sort of big group storylines and big group kind of plots interacting like near each other, but not necessarily kind of going head to head in the same way. And so it was just like, I I just found it so, I mean, just really, really sort of viscerally satisfying on an emotional level to see, you know, to see in 412 Clark 
not just to sort of like, I guess, sort of atone to, you know, to Bellamy by going along on his trip, but also to like, because it was important to her to bring Raven home, you know, like to see, mm-hmm. to see Clark remembering these like human connections that have always been so important to her and really sort of like recentering on that in the course of making this decision to like, no, I'm going to like go along, you know, and, and help bring Raven back, you know, and then, you know, and then choosing to go forward with that, even knowing that it means they won't make it back to the bunker in time, coming up with this plan to save all of them. And then all of the different ways over the course of the finale in which she and Raven's like how incredibly strongly they respect each other, how, how, like how deep that sort of bond is that overcomes like all of the shit that they've been through together, like that, that connection they have is so strong and how, what a kind of indestructible unit of badassness they are when they are working together on a common goal. There is like yeah. no, I mean like there's just like when Clark and Raven are like on something together, it's just like you just, it's just amazing, you know? And, and yeah. so I really love. Well, I just like the moment where, Clark, you know, looked at Raven. Bellamy's like, why are you smiling? And Clark was able, Clark just knew she's like, she's going to get to spacewalk. Like, I think there's like a little testament to that, the sort of connection and the knowledge of each other that they have, you know, that that Mm -hmm, Clark still mm -hmm. sort of intuitively understands Raven. Yeah. So well. But yeah, and, and, and in 412, Clark always coming back to Bellamy saying like, we, if we take you back, we can make people nightbloods. We can save everyone. And Clark saying, but we don't save Raven. I mean, it's a little bit of a callback to, I choose you first. Exactly. Clark chose Raven. Yeah. She chose Raven over, you know, like if you go back to the beginning of the season when she was just refusing, she's like, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to worry about these piecemeal solutions because I'm going to save everyone. She was looking past the individual. She's just like everyone, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone. And at the end it comes back to, she picks Raven. Yeah. And like, Yeah. <laughs> Princess Mechanic. Princess Mechanic. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And love Raven, of course, like, you know, she's the other person that Clark name drops when she's talking to Bellamy on the radio at the end. You know, she says, mm-hmm. Tell Raven. Mm-hmm. So yay. <laughs> Clark oh. has friends and she loves them. Ugh. And then and then just the like how how both sort of suspenseful on an action level and how sort of emotional it was on a personal level, that moment where they get to the ring and it's dark and Raven is like waiting outside, running out of oxygen. And she's like, come on, Clark. You can, like, I'm like tearing up thinking about yeah, it, you know, because, yeah. because they all like, they believe Clark is either dead or she's about to die. And all they want to know is just like, did she like, if the lights go on in the arc, it's not just that they're all going to survive. It's like, then they'll know that then she's like, alive. Just one moment Clark is alive. Yeah. And so then the moment, like, when it happens and they realize that she did, I mean, I was just, like, I was so, I was, like, I am a wreck by how much these people all love each other. And how everyone, (laughs) and how deep everyone's faith, you know, and I think part of it, too, is, like, Clark's arc over the course of the season has been, it's been very, it's been sort of increasingly difficult for reasons that I do think a lot of them were, were deliberate. It's been very difficult to feel, for, for the other characters to sort of, feel empathy for Clark, to root for Clark, you know, like the sort of continual distancing and distancing and distancing has been, has made it challenging, like not just for us, the viewers, but for the people around her to sort of remember like who she is as a person and why they love her Mm -hmm. as a person. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I think that some of that was part of a deliberate choice they were making to sort of show us how dangerous and destructive it is for for Clark to be sort of devoid of intimate human connection. You know, like what happens to her when she is cut off. Yeah. But what was one of the things that was really just so 
wonderful and and what made the finale like not just like a really terrific kind of action set piece but also such a beautiful finale and so emotional was the, the fact that like it recentered it on like, it wasn't just about you know raven's brain is going to get them to space and the raven and bellamy are going to lead it was like everyone remembering the things that they love the most about Clark. It was like, this was like yeah. Clark at her best, purest, peak Clark self. And everyone else, I mean, even even Echo and Amori, like everyone in that rocket, valuing her, rooting for her, believing in her, so sure she's going to get to the top of that tower and she's going to get the lights on the arc because she's Clark and she has to. You know, like that they're just the kind of like everyone's sort of collective realization, like when they have to close the doors and they realize she isn't coming. Like, I just, I just loved, I loved that reminder of how important she is personally to all these people. And it was really manifested so beautifully in that little moment of Raven waiting at the doors to the Ark, praying that Clark can get to the top and let them all in so that this wasn't all for nothing, you know, but like the depth of their like belief in each other. I was just like, oh God, I'm so emotional. And I think, I, I think there's something really sort of beautiful about the way that in this episode I think what hope really is in this episode is 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 like a form of faith in other people and faith Mm -hmm. and belief that the best of them exists and that they'll act on it like if you think about it where does hope come from in this episode hope comes from believing in Raven and the most the most capable, the most amazing, the most exceptional, the most sort of purest kind of raven that she can pull off this impossible task. And hope comes in the form of belief in, you know, faith in the best Clark, that Clark will never give up on them, that Clark seeing Mm -hmm. that rocket take off isn't going to give up on them. She's going to keep going. She's going to hook up that satellite. She's going to save them. Belief in that sort of like best version of most dedicated and, and, you know, self-sacrificing version of Clark. And hope, like, at the end, you know, when when Clark says she still has hope in Bellamy, I think hope in that case is her faith that that he's still alive, that he still exists, that Bellamy that she sort of described to him earlier on, that huge heart, like, her hope is that he's out there and that that heart still exists. Hope Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. belief in and faith that those best, most wonderful parts of the people who are important to you are real and that they still exist and that they will manifest when you need them. And I think that there's Mm -hmm. just something Mm -hmm. so like gorgeous in the fact that like hope isn't abstract. Hope is people. Yeah. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I think that that sort of has been the, the emotional trajectory of this whole season. I think all of the sort of different character arcs, the way that they link together, I think in a lot of ways, and it'll be interesting to sort of see on binge watch later, what other arcs and themes and connective threads sort of, manifest themselves but I feel like one of the really clear ones right now is sort of this idea that like it is always better to be deeply honest and connected to people than not to be like you're a better leader if you're connected to your people rather than distant from them you are a better and more emotionally grounded and stable person if you are surrounded by relationships family is important and that if you have family you care about and you're estranged from them you're not making your best decisions you know like all of these sort of you know all these sort of different threads of you know of big plot storylines and smaller kind of intimate character storylines are really 
I think in, in some level really sort of speak to this idea of the importance of connectedness. And that's why I think the best, like one of the most important things about that flash forward is that we know that Clark has maintained that sense of human connectedness. Like that Clark is not, yeah. has not been alone for six years, sort of spiraling into Panther eating insanity again. You know, <laughs> the message held for six years, like the, the message that Clark is her best self when she is deeply in relationship with other people, that that remains true, you know, and that up on yeah. the arc, we leave Bellamy and Raven with this deep sense of like, not just their connectedness to each other, but also with both with Clark and with obviously that we know that Octavia is still very present, that they're sort of connected to these people on the ground. And so I just, so I feel like that's a like, for as much kind of darkness as there has been in this season, I do think that, I think when watching it all together, now knowing how it ends, I think it will feel in a lot of ways like a season with a much more hopeful message than previous seasons have had because it really is sort of all pointing towards this idea of people need each other. People need human connectedness. And, you know, and many of the really dark, sort of really brutal things that happen in the show, particularly over the course of this season, happen because somebody begins to sort of feel adrift from the anchor of that human connectedness. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what the, the great thing about this finale is that it just has such a huge heart and really like yeah. wears it on its sleeve in a way that the rest of the season a lot of the time hasn't. Speaking of big hearts, I want to mm-hmm. gush about Bellamy for a minute and then, and then scream about Belark. I, I did, I like, I, I really, really, really loved all of the Bellamy content in this episode. Like, the last few episodes have been pretty great for Bellamy, I think, for the most part. Um, and we've really kind of seen, like, old school Bellamy come back. But, like, I loved that getting Bellamy back in motivational speech mode at the very, very beginning yes. when Raven is sort of, like, listing off all of the things that they have to do, you know, like all the things mm-hmm. that could go wrong, which is also just, like, awesome, Raven. And just shout out to Lindsay Morgan for how fucking fast she delivered that dialogue. Like, that was amazing. Like, that was really, really complex. It's like technical dialogue. And she just, like, rattled it off at lightning speed. That is not easy. So. I know. Yeah. Lindsay Morgan is, like, a force of nature. Oh, God, she's so good. She's so good. I mean, they're all so good, but she's just awesome. But anyway, so, like, as soon as, you know, and that's all over, and, like, Bellamy turns around, and they're all, like, sort of looking like, should should we even bother? And he's like, do I really need to talk you into this? And then he gives that great line, <laughs> like, all right, so now all the, we know all the reasons, the ways we might die. Let's, like, focus on what we need to do to live. And I was just like, I got, like, chills. I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> That's the Bellamy I want. So much of it felt like classic season one throwback the hundred. You know, like, the yeah. team is on a mission. And Clark and Bellamy and Raven are back at peak themselves. You know, got a little sass from Murphy. We got like Monty being like, you know, sort of like trucking around, being like super like focused and useful. But we have the three of them and and then, you know, Clark and Bellamy in particular back at like their peak, like most lovable versions of themselves. Where like dad Bellamy with his motivational speeches being the person who's like, Raven, get up off the mat. You know, like I was like, oh, (laughs) I love him so much. Yeah. I know. And I think like, I mean, I just was like, that is the Bellamy who got 100 
delinquent kids to follow him. That is the Bellamy yes. who kept them alive. You know, who kept 82 yes. of them alive in season one against all odds. That is the Bellamy who is going to keep this group of people up there alive and going. You know, it's like, it's going to be freaking hard. Like, getting that algae grow grind. Like, they're going to be facing some hard times. Like, that is the Bellamy who's going to keep them together, who's going to keep them alive. Yeah, yeah. And so we got so many moments. Like, there was that one and then the, you know, the Raven pep talk and everything else and the, the Echo pep talk. And I thought it was really great, like, just in terms of, like, you know, sort of classic showing in addition to telling. I felt like those were all really, those are sort of moments that were perfect in terms of, those were those were the sort of evidentiary support <laughs> to, <laughs> to Clark's speech to him about, like, you know, you have this huge heart and, like, so people follow you, you inspire them. And, like, we got to see, this is the Bellamy, like, who inspires people. You know, this is the Bellamy who can... Who can look at anyone in their lowest moment and make them believe that they can do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and he does it, you know, and like, and that ability saves them. Like, I think it's really, it makes me just so happy. Like all Clark Bellamy and Raven, they all, well, they, everybody in, in, on that island saves each other. Mm-hmm. Monty taking off his gloves to unhook the oxygenator saves them. Yeah. Murphy picking up that oxygenator and carrying it back saves them. Bellamy and, and Murphy going back and getting Monty saves them. Amori like working away on that shuttle diligently and mm-hmm. Harper while everyone else is running around getting things ready that saves them. Clark climbing that tower of course you know like manually repositioning that thing that saves them. Raven mm-hmm. obviously saves them but Bellamy if Bellamy hadn't been able to get Raven back on her feet to inspire her to find that solution they all would have died. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't been able to get everybody up and moving and motivated to work on the rocket at the beginning, they would have died. So, like, they would have, they would not have survived without Bellamy's, without that inspiration from him, too. It's, like, so beautiful the way that all of them sort of come together. And, and like, even, like, Bellamy, I think maybe of the sort of core three, like, the least direct, you know, like, he doesn't, he doesn't save them in terms of, like, manually doing something that makes it possible for the rocket to take off or for them to open the doors or whatever but he's the one who who makes it possible for everyone to like do what they're going to do yeah which is just like i think so wonderful yeah and i think also sort of a beautiful taste of like what his role in their sort of new little arc mini society is going to be like it's, it was very yeah. clear like they left it with a, us with a really clear sense of you know recentering him as the leader but without Clark as his leader kind of co-partner, which in the past has been sort of where where the wheels come off the wagon, is sometimes <laughs> when Bellamy like tries to make decisions without Clark or Clark makes decisions without running them by Bellamy. And now like now they have to, you know, right? Like now they're in a yeah. position where like they're obligated to do that. And so I think that him getting that reminder that he has everything that he needs to be this good leader in and of himself on his own. And then we get to sort of see him using that, like leaves you with this sort of really optimistic sense of like, these kids on the arc are going to be okay because Bellamy is going to be able to be the leader that they need, which is really beautiful. Yes, exactly. You know, and the reason that, that Clark and Bellamy are now going to be able to, to sort of function more fully as leaders on their own is because of what they've learned from each other and sort of like what they've gotten from each other. You know, so they're both sort of like transformed by having known each other, which I think is so... We could transition now into my Blark flailing, but like, <laughs> I was so happy. There was an, there was an interview with, uh, another interview with Jason Rothenberg published yesterday where he said something like, the way Clark and Bellamy have always been the center of the story, or the, it's always been the story of Clark and Bellamy. And I think like that's true on so many levels, but just thinking about how central those two are in this episode to 
you know, to survival, to, to everyone's survival and to like getting the group going and the ways that, I mean, just looking at the end, they're separated, you know, and like, and they can't speak to each other, but Bellamy is inspired by Clark. He's been reshaped by Clark. He's going to be the leader he is because of Clark, because he remembers Clark. Clark at the end, like she keeps going, she keeps her sanity because she talks to Bellamy every day. You know, she remembers him. She hangs on to him. You know, like they're so central to each other's lives and identities and stories like who they are now is like so much about their relationship to each other and the way that they've changed and what they mean to each other and like Bob Morley I think said something at a at a con about like he thinks that their relationship has transcended romance and I think you know we can see that that's true that like they're so sort of profoundly important to each other that you kind of can't put a label on like what their relationship means to each other like how do you how do you like label something a relationship with somebody who has made you who you are in this like really profound way, like made it possible for you to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Like, I just think like we, we got like so many deep examples of this throughout, but yeah, I, <laughs> I don't even know what to say without just like devolving into like just redescribing each scene and flailing. But I thought, I thought just the touch at the end that sort of like that reassurance of even separated, it's the memory of each other that keeps them going. Even sort of like shippy feels aside, I think that's just like such a beautiful kind of tribute to how important they are to each other and, you know, how much they've shaped each other. And then also, obviously, they're thinking about each other every day. So clearly they're going to make out next season. (laughs) 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 Um, You should say something. (laughs) I will just keep going forever and ever and ever. (laughs) One sort of kind of subtle little detail that I think is really lovely is there's a lot we can, I think, infer about, you know, who who Clark is and how these people continue to be so important to her, Bellamy in particular, from just the very small detail that like Maddie knows enough about these people to sort of have some expectations about what the ship looks like. Yes, yes. So Maddie, Maddie instantly knowing this is the wrong spaceship tells us something about and also just I think the little the little kind of drive-by detail that like Clark is back to drawing yeah I think gives us a picture of you know whatever whatever we learn over the past six years of her relationship with Maddie I think we're we're given a lot of indicators that she talks about these people a lot she talks about who they are and what they have meant to her you know that she's telling their stories and yeah and I think that that's so, you know, and then, when, and then when she says, when she's talking to Bellamy on the radio, she says, we, we went to Polos, we tried to dig out the bunker. So like, so not, not just the people on this ship, but also like those people, like Maddie knows who everybody is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so Maddie knows that, that every day Clark radios to Bellamy or records a message to Bellamy or, you know, or whatever. And like, she probably knows what Bellamy looks like because somewhere along mm-hmm. the way, Clark found paper and pencils and she's drawing again. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a very small amount of content and a very small amount of dialogue, we get a really, I think, a very rich portrait of the different ways in which, you know, all these characters and Bellamy in particular have remained, you know, have sort of become a part of who she is. And I, and it makes me feel like, you know, the language that the narrative used over the course of the season about both, I think, Nyla and maybe someone else, but I remember it with Nyla, talking to Clark about Lexa and Kane talking to Abby about 
Jake and using the words like they're a part of you, you know, like Mm -hmm, people that you mm -hmm. love that you lost don't ever really leave you. And, and so I feel like we're getting this sort of picture of this new version of Clark for whom all of these relationships that are so central to her remain really present in the stories that she tells to this child. And, you know, and so the fact that, you know, the fact that it's Bellamy that she, that she talks to every day to keep her sort of centered, it's like, it isn't because she has, like, she's not a crazy person on a desert island with no one to talk to except a volleyball. Yeah, 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 It isn't, it isn't just that she needs some kind of human connection and she imagines Bellamy or she'll go crazy because she actually has, like, a very deep and rich human connection with this kid. It's that something about sort of reflecting the life that she's living day to day, processing that and talking about it to Bellamy gives her something specific. Yeah. Like anchoring her to a past version of herself, keeping, um, you know, feeling like she's talking to him, being able to kind of imagine how he would respond to the things that she's saying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, like the way she, when she brings up the bunker, you know, it's as though there's some part of her that wants to reassure him that she's never stopped looking for Octavia. All of those very sort of subtle little kind of markers of, how, you know, after this enormous length of time, how their relationship is still so present to her, I think is really, really beautiful. And I think it's going to be like, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen, like under what circumstances and how and when are they going to kind of come back together again and how they're going to be really different because of, you know, all of the sort of things that they've gone through. The only sort of real kind of concrete Clark and Bellamy related sort of teaser I've gleaned from any of these interviews that Jason's done about season five is that every time he brings up Clark's relationship with Maddie, he, he brings up in sort of like a hypothetical, like what would happen if the thing that is best for Maddie or the thing that Maddie needs or wants is, is not in the best interest of other characters like Bellamy and Octavia. That's sort of the example that he mm-hmm, keeps giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to me, so the sort of things to dig out of that are, one, that it probably won't be too long in this season before Bunker Crew and Space Crew and Clark are all reunited in order for there to be a Clark, Bellamy, Octavia storyline. But that, that the presence of this new relationship, you know, sort of complicates her relationship with Bellamy in some way that I think could be potentially really, really interesting. Because we all know that, like, the most important thing in Bellamy's whole life is, like, adopting stray children. <laughs> like he literally loves nothing more like sweet free kid anytime like literally anytime there is a little girl he is like oh little girl i'm going to go save her you know the little girl on on luna's rig and then the little girl from the ice nation slave thing where he was like she is my special charge like i was not going to save these people and then i saw a little girl (laughs) yeah like this is his kryptonite yeah yeah Um, he's just like i see octavia in you like there is no possible way that he is not going to instantly imprint on this child uh yeah yeah (laughs) so that's something that i'm really like the sort of the implications of that are very interesting to me of like what you know when like when they reunite and all this time has passed he thought that she was dead which is like a monumental like the shock to Bellamy's system of having spent six years believing that Clark was dead and then seeing her alive again and kind of imagining under what circumstances that could possibly happen I mean like if nothing else 
this finale was a gift for fanfic writers. Like, oh, oh my god. god. Yes. Oh yes. my god. More so, I would argue, <laughs> than any other finale. Oh, yeah. There's bunker speculation. There's space speculation. There's like, how are Clark and Bellamy going to be reunited? There's all of this sort of family feel stuff. There's where the hell did Maddie come from? There's Clark alone in the post-apocalyptic wilderness. There's like, what's going on between Bellamy and Raven? Like, all that kind of stuff. You know, like, who are the miners? But I feel like I just have so many... I guess sort of thoughts and questions and and wonderings about what that reunion is going to look like. But I do think the thing that's really, the time jump did that's so beautiful is like, that paints this really clear picture of how incredibly important he still is, even though she doesn't really know if he's alive. Yeah. She doesn't actually know for sure that it worked. Like she doesn't know that they didn't die on the way up or up there or you know yeah, she, exactly. she has no idea the the ipad cut out before she even saw if the satellite uplink worked at all so she yeah. as far as she knows they could have yeah. been dead for six years she only knows like she knows a rocket took off and she has no idea what else happened after that and right. what she knows at this point by the time we come back to her is she also knows he's a year late yes yes so the implication there of even if everything went according to plan, something after that has potentially gone really wrong. Right. And of course, like the most likely thing would be that they died. You know, yeah. one of the many, many, many things that could go wrong if there went wrong and they've been dead for a long time and they're never coming back. So yeah. The fact that she continues despite that and sort of is like, I'm, I can't even, you know, like I'm just, you're alive as long as I don't have confirmation that you're dead. That it's that important to her to sort of keep faith alive, keep hope alive that he's coming mm-hmm. back. It's like so huge. I think that's the thing for me that was like so, like the biggest thing for me from from a shipper standpoint. <laughs> I'm just going to go full <laughs> shipper now, by the way, like everyone, I'm not even going to pretend it. that I'm I not mind last week. <laughs> wearing my shipper goggles. So, you know, if you're not into that, then thanks for listening. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the thing that was like so huge and like such a game changer and that I did not expect was this I mean this episode was so like so blark but like it was really like so much about Clark's feelings for Bellamy and yeah. like all season long I've had a million people ask me do you think Blark's gonna happen do you think Blark's gonna happen this season and I've always thought like I never thought that Blark you know if Blark ever becomes canon I didn't think it was going to happen this season and I always kind of felt like at most what we're going to get, the the most that I thought would happen would be some sort of canonical confirmation of Bellamy's feelings. Because it's always, it's been clear since 302 how Bellamy feels. Mm-hmm. The fact that Clark is like, I mean, it's it's basically, it's like obvious at this point, it has been for a long time, that Bellamy really, really loves Clark, that she is the most important person to him besides Octavia and even, you know, in some ways rivaling Octavia and that, like, he's pretty clearly in love with her. Mm -hmm. But it's been much, much more ambiguous what Clark's feelings are. Like, again, they're always very clear that he's very important to her, that he's, like, her best friend. She's He's kind of, like, her her favorite person besides her mom, but it hasn't really Mm -hmm. been, like, less sort of, like, obviously so. And I never in a million years would have said the finale is going to be about confirming Clark's feelings for Bellamy. Right. Rather than yeah. the other way. We're like, I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought it was going to be. Oh, and, like, me too. And, it, and it was. Yeah. It was. Like, obviously, it, it was also very, very much about Bellamy's feelings. I'm not, this is not to say that this episode did not also very much confirm Bellamy's feelings for Clark, you know. And, right. And his devastation when he thought that he left her behind and so forth. But, like, the part that I wasn't expecting was the part where 
Like, half of this episode was just about Clark being like, Bellamy, you are the best person in the world. <laughs> so, from, like, the, the ending, I never in a... Th- in like a bazillion years, if you had asked me, if you had told me everything about this episode and all you had said is that, you know, at the very end, Clark is talking on the radio to someone and has been talking every day. Who do you think it would be? I would have been like, well, I'd be really happy if it were Bellamy, but that seems like, I, you know, that just seems like shipper goggles. It can't possibly be that. Like, so actually getting that scene, I was like, what is happening? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like actual canonical confirmation. She talks to Bellamy every single day. And the way that she like lights up when she thinks that she sees the rocket. Yeah, exactly. The way, like the, the way that her whole like the moment that she's been waiting for for six years and seven days has finally happened, and like the way that her whole demeanor changes at the realization yeah. that like yeah. Bellamy is coming back right now. Like he's here, right? You know, right? She right? Sees and him. she runs to get Maddie. She's like, "You're gonna meet," and like she's just so excited. This is the moment that she's been waiting for, and and it's like because she has Maddie. That's even more powerful because they establish in that first shot of her at the end that she is happy. It's not uh-huh. like she's down there miserable and lonely. Like she's sitting on the hood of the rover drawing. Like she looks very content, you know, and, and not to say mm-hmm. that. So the fact that like that Bellamy coming back, that her imagining that they're being reunited makes her so happy. It's not like she was miserable and now she's going to be happy. It's like she was content. She was fine. She was happy. This is just yeah. even better, you know, but like going all the way back to the beginning that first scene, you know, where she comes in to use the radio and Bellamy tells her that it's down and that she can't say goodbye to her mother. There's just this, like, really... <laughs> there's times when I'm just, like, the directing is so fucking extra on Bellark. I'm just, like, either... <laughs> I don't know. You, either, like, yes, you're setting this up or you're just, like, fucking... It's total shitbait, you know? But so, so Bellamy goes over to hug her, which is another one of those, like, Bellamy is just, like, so instantly in tune with her. He goes over to hug her and she wraps her arms around his waist and sort of like locks her hands around him. The camera like pans down slightly and mm-hmm. zooms in on her hand locked around his back. That was the first I moment know. where I was like, uh, wait, what? Like, I'm not surprised yeah. that there is a hug. I am surprised that this hug is being framed as like, look at how tightly Clark is holding Bellamy. And then yeah. it comes up to Bellamy, like, sort of, like, cradling her head in that way and whatever. And they, like, they fucking lingered on that. That was another one of those hugs where, like, mm-hmm. that was, like, the 313 hug where they were, like, they were not going to let go until Luna's Navy SEALs showed up. They were just going to keep mm-hmm. going until, like, something yep. interrupted them. <laughs> that was my first hint where I was, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, like, something's happening. <laughs> anyway, this is just, like, your walk through Aaron's Blark feels. But, <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, I mean, again, like, it was just sort of continually framed as being about a sort of like the Belark story in this episode was really sort of framed as being primarily about kind of like laying out how Clark feels about Bellamy and like why Bellamy is so important to her and why and and just sort of like reconfirming like he is behind her mother the most important person Raven a close second and and here here laying it out for you before they're separated we're just going to confirm how central this relationship is and I loved like I love their like dorky little banter about oxymorons that's another one of those things about this episode that I thought was so great like we got a chance to see them being co-leaders again you know so we got those little hints about like okay they've been up there talking about logistics they've been running numbers they've been doing this stuff but like sort of again it was another one of those callbacks to season one 
in one of the things I loved about their, I've, you know, one of the reasons that I ship Bilark and, and, and have since season one is they're co-leaders, but they also just have this like dorky sort of banter. They both have yeah. terrible <laughs> senses of humor. You know, they make like these silly, stupid jokes to each other just to make each other <laughs> smile. <laughs> You know, like, only choice, oxymoron. Oh, and then the cold yeah. sweat when he, like, caresses her face? Uh, Claire, yeah. like, what no, I know. the fuck? <laughs> I know. So I was watching this episode with our friend Kelsey, who's also a hardcore bulldog shipper. I mean, like, I like I also, obviously, like, I love that scene. But I loved it even more thinking, like, okay, somewhere Aaron is dying. And Kelsey literally, like, <laughs> during the face touching and then during the head and heart, she got up. She had to get up and walk it off. She's, like, walking around my living room. She's, like, pacing. She could not... Like, she could not deal. And then by the time the commercial break hit after, like, I couldn't get her back for, like, five minutes. It was hilarious. And the first thing that, and then I was, like, I, like, in my heart, I was, like, somewhere Aaron is losing her shit. Like, somewhere Aaron is melting down. Because the only reason for the cold sweat thing was an excuse to touch her face. Like, Bellamy, you're, like, you're so transparent. How is he such? How the fuck did he get laid so much in season one? He is such a he's goddamn such a nerd. goober. Oh my he's god! Such I know. A I was like, like the least smooth person yeah, on that yeah. fucking planet. Yeah, like the greatest <laughs> trick the devil ever pulled was convincing everyone that Bellamy Blake is a cool guy. Like, like a good thing you're so good looking, Bellamy, because otherwise, like you are the biggest nerd. Like, oh my god, what a dork. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that was that scene was so uh, like was I mean so I was just funny. like yeah. I was like frozen in disbelief like I could not believe I was like did I have a stroke am I like hallucinating like is this like my brain giving me like a nice hallucination right before I die because <laughs> I literally could not believe that it was happening I I was so convinced like I was so convinced that whole scene I was like oh my god this is it. They're going to kiss or someone's going to say, I love you. Like we're there. The moments arrive. It's going to happen. Like I, like I was like my whole body. I was like, this is, there's literally nowhere else. This could be leading. I was just like, this is the most, the most. I mean, and I, and I know, like, I, I totally understand. Like I've seen a lot of, you know, like I have a lot of friends that are black shippers and I know that people have some very mixed feelings about the separation, about how long the separation was, about is Bellamy going to come back in a relationship with Echo? Is Bellamy going to come back in a relationship with Raven? Is that in some way like diminished Bullark, you know, or their possibility of being canon in season five? And I just feel like, like, I, I mean, I watch this, like, and I, I, like, my shipper goggles are different from yours, but I definitely ship it. And I also can see it through, I'm like, I'm watching this the way Aaron's going to be watching it. And, like, like I can I can feel <laughs> yes. Aaron screaming from thousands of miles away. Well, it's but like, like, like I, when we got um, the cabbie, I love you, I was just, like, somewhere Claire is, like, flailing and yeah. dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just know. In our heart of hearts, we just know. But I watched it just thinking, like, this show could not be making it more clear that they love each other so deeply and so much that not that Bellamy doesn't obviously care deeply about Raven and you know and who knows what could like who knows what what six years will bring but I just feel like if I was watching this as a Bullark shipper I would feel like this is exactly how you like if it was if it was me if I was writing the show this is how you set up a relationship that's about to become endgame and you can't get there too early 
because otherwise then then you're sort of unnaturally kind of accelerating the story and you have to sort of let things kind of unfold and so like so we were talking about before like so this is how you do it right you have character A realizes they have feelings they don't say anything and then character B realizes it and then something happens in the way so so there's a time jump you know and so like so maybe like Bellamy is with Raven or Echo now or whatever you know and you know or maybe it takes a while for them to come back together for me like I know a lot of people don't want like but like that is in no way uh, antithetical to Bellamy and Clark becoming canon in season five. Like, in fact, to me, if Bellamy comes back with, like, a romantic complication, that is confirmation that it's going to happen. No, me too. Yeah, that's that's how you execute a storyline like this. Exactly. Like, character A does most of the pining for most of the sort of slow burn seasons – Right before the end, there's a moment where, like, they kind of lose hope. Character B realizes feelings, gets a... There's a period of time where character B is doing the pining for character A, shorter period of time, then you pay it off. And the other thing is you have to have both. You've already established character A's feelings. You know, now you need to establish, like, character B also has those feelings and they are equal and as strong, etc. And then that's when you... Then that's when you bring it together and it's really, like, satisfying and pays off. And So, like, I'm like, A... I am a sucker for angst and separation angst. This kind of angst is like the angst mm-hmm. that I love. Like, oh my God. Like yeah. I'm oh, like, yeah. bring me, bring me all of the, like, I didn't know you were alive. You know, he doesn't know she's alive. He's trying to move on. He comes back. Oh my God. She's there. And like, what is he going to do? How is he going to readjust? And her angst and missing him. Bring me all of the angst of them having to like relearn who each other are and like refine their footing yeah. and like kind of, fall in love with each other again like I'm totally here for all of that angst I'm totally here for her being like I've now realized that like he's my person and seeing him and being like oh my god I'm in love oh fuck he has like someone else what am I gonna do swallow you know like conceal don't feel Clark I'm I'm totally down with it I I have no problems with the separation especially since you know we're getting the time jump right away and they're not going to be separated you know on screen I think that long and we'll get the, the sort of backstory in flashbacks I'm totally fine with that like, this is how slow burn ships happen. You know, if it's going to happen, yeah. this is how it's going to happen. And not that it's a guarantee. Like, obviously, like, whatever. They could they could just be fucking trolling us really, really hard. But I very much doubt it. <laughs> this, this all reads to me as happening exactly on schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. The trains are running on time. <laughs> if you look at the slow burn endgame ships sort of, like, iconically on other television shows that have done this with sort of your two central characters whose you know whose romantic relationship you want to be sort of end game at the end but you can't get there too quickly like they are following the recipe to the t like to me it reminded me of like this is exactly how alias did it you know like this is yeah like, like beat for beat this exactly is exactly how, how bones you know, did it yeah yeah and it's even to some degree although they switched it over you know many more years it's also like how friends did it you know like they yeah. like they mm-hmm. had 10 seasons instead of five you know um but i i i do think you know like we we have no way of knowing how many more seasons the show will get but we know that five was always kind of the magic number that Jason mm-hmm. mentioned. And so you know, they may have more up their sleeve. They may get renewed. They may have, you know, another couple of years of story to tell. But if not, you know, like if if what we're heading into now is the final season of the sort of initial kind of five season arc that Jason planned at the beginning, I always felt 
like the middle of the very final season is when we're going to really get the train running. And everything up until that point is going to have to be sort of slow burn realization. You sort of put in all of these kind of additional complications. Of course, he comes back from space with a girlfriend. That's how you tell this story. You know, like right, exactly. Ross came back from yeah. China with a new girlfriend and Rachel was like, Booth well, came fuck back no, from Afghanistan with a new girlfriend. You know, Exactly. Like, is- yes. Sydney Bristow woke up at, from two years unconscious and Vaughn was married. You know, like this is like, this is how you tell those stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, like sort of looking at it in the long term, if, if I was a disconsolate Ballark shipper, worried about sort of does this mean that like does this sort of set the relationship back i i would feel like nothing nothing that is sort of textual in this episode would give me anything but hope in the long term like in a perfect world hope for brave and lark <laughs> which has <laughs> yes. never felt I mean, so like, possible all of this said i would absolutely i like you know it's always the show likes to do the unexpected and they always like to support yeah. tropes so come back from Bellamy comes back from space with Raven and his girlfriend and instead of breaking up they just all get together that's totally acceptable as well (laughs) exactly yeah totally yeah what a fun way to not go with the formula wink wink yes Maybe the fact that we've now suggested this to Jason four times in one podcast, like, like I think he's on to us. <laughs> you think we've been too subtle about what we would like to see as the end game of the show? I don't think they're going to get it yet. Maybe we should explain it again. So. <laughs> uh, we are delightful. Um... Okay, so the face touching was like so fucking extra. Bellamy Blake is helplessly in love with her. But then, so also, Clark's face when she's giving Bellamy the here's why you're awesome speech. Which also just like, there's so much unnecessary touching between those two in this one. Like the face touching about cold sweat. Yeah. Which but like, like Clark's your face. heart here, your head, which is this thing. I'm like, Clark. <laughs> Clark. Girl. <laughs> Girl, he knows where his head is. <laughs> but does he, though? Does he really? Will he know where his heart is unless she lays her hand upon his chest over it? Of course not. I think he needs the help. She just wanted uh, to touch his pecs, which, like, again, girl, girl, get it. I mean, tell you for all of us. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so they're all over each other. But I mean, like, I just remember like rewatching it and the scene where she's, you know, she's giving him this like very extra speech about like if I die, and Bellamy's like, nope, nope, not listening. Let's talk about like water calculations. <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, and when she's sort of giving him the speech about, especially at the beginning part, she's talking about like I didn't, you know, at the beginning I didn't like you very much, but I always knew that every stupid thing you did you did for your sister like just how fond she looks like even when she's talking about him like all like remembering the stupid things she does she just looks like so incredibly like fond and affectionate towards him and I'm just like what are you doing Eliza like you're killing us you know like it was just like such it was it was so much like I did not I never ever ever expected that and it was like out of my wildest dreams honestly it was great so happy (laughs) oh like to have clark sort of be like let me retail for you our story with an emphasis upon like how incredibly amazing a heart i think you have and like i'm just going to touch you a bunch um anyway okay (laughs) oh it was so precious I feel like I should have more. Like, there's always so much pressure whenever there's a big Bill episode. I always have these people like, Aaron, make sure you have lots of screaming. And I'm like, 
I mean, we have been screaming about this for probably like 40 minutes, which is really not bad. But I'm also just kind of like, I'm sorry, kids, I don't have anything. I don't have anything like really deeply coherent to say about it. I'm just, I'm just super, <laughs> I'm just like super happy about it. <laughs> I'm really into it and I like the angst. <laughs> <laughs> And also deeper things about how they have transformed each other into better people and Bellamy is going to be like a better leader because he thinks about like what would Clark do when he makes decisions and Clark is staying sane by remembering Bellamy and just like all the themes about, you know, together and love being the thing that's going to save us and like hope being, you know, sort of love and affection for other people, a.k.a. Bellark. I mean, like it is a kind of like a finale in which... We talked about this last season, I think a couple of times in a podcast last season about the ways Bellamy and Clark, or Bellark is a relationship so often, they they really sort of like in, embody the sort of core, most important themes of the shows, the show over and over again. Um, and I think this is, again, another one of them, that that, that sort of like deep connection. And, and Bellamy and Octavia too, you know, in, in the sense that, um, you know, Bellamy or Octavia sort of carrying forward the words that, that Bellamy gave to her and Raven and Clark, you know, because Raven also remembers Clark. But like, you know, really centrally Bellamy and Clark are sort of, of embodying this, like all the sort of like big, big things I think that the show is trying to land in the final episode in that way that they so often do, which is why... They're just like the best. The end. Aaron loves Blair. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> Thank uh. you. Okay. We didn't even, it's not even uh, six hours yet. Wow. No. Well, do we want to take maybe just a few minutes and we can cover this more, I think, when, when we, after we binge watch and we can go back and sort of pick up all the little clues. But I do want to just take a few minutes and talk about. Elegious Mining Company again. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, so, Your favorite so I, cat again is coming back. Kel- Kelsey was like super distraught because she's like, oh my God, it's not Bellamy. Like it isn't Bellamy coming back and she was so upset. And I, on my other couch, was like, I screamed. I was like, Bill Cadigan! At the top of my lungs out of the television. I was so excited. Um, I think I'll have more to say about this just sort of in terms of like, you know, kind of like conspiracy theory, nerdery. After going back and re-watching through the whole episode or through the whole season and being able to kind of drill down into like all of the little sort of clues and Easter eggs about, some of which we've covered before about the lost mining ship, sort of the news article about it that Raven has up on her computer, the Cadigan connection. Okay, so here are my thoughts. Um, <laughs> so my my guess is, and I don't know if this is how how much this is sort of if we're, this is how we're supposed to have interpreted it or, you know, or what. But so what we know about Nightblood is that it was developed by Becca for this Elegious Mining Company for the use of like long term space travel um, to protect these these penal colony, like basically prisoners who were like slave, you know, miners, basically, like who were sort of drafted into like, you know, forced servitude in this mining company. And that the night blood was how they survived solar radiation and that they were put in cryosleep because where they were going out to mine was like sort of like so, you know, far away. And this was all sort of pre-apocalypse. This was all like Becca Cadigan, you know, era. So my question is, has this ship been in transit in space for over a century and these people frozen in like cryosleep are the OG 
penal colony miners who like finished their job, put themselves back in stasis and came home. And they're the same people. And, and so they have no either. Maybe they have no idea that the earth has been apocalypsed twice since they were gone. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and just that like they, you know, that it took them a hundred years or, or however many years like to get, you know, to get there and back, you know, in which case then, then they're, they're prisoners, they're prisoner miners and they're all nightbloods. Which yeah, could be really yeah, interesting. Yeah. Or, you know, the ship has been in space the whole time and they're the descendants of Nightbloods. Like the people who are on this ship are the descendants of the original miners who formed this colony and they're their own kind of little, their own sort of little society, kind of the way the Ark was like a mini society trapped in this sort of enclosed space. Um, and that could be really interesting too, you know, sort of the sense like what what sort of their expectation is of the world they're going to kind of come back to. My my sort of secret deep hope, and I know that there's probably no way that this is true, because how would he even have gotten on the mining ship in the first place? But then I was like, what if they were in cryosleep, and one of the people in cryosleep is Bill Cadigan? It's probably not. Like, it's probably an overreach, <laughs> you know? But, like, I just, but I had that thought. But, uh, but so, yeah, so I'm really interested in, so, the, so then the question becomes, did, if everyone's in cryosleep, did this ship bypass the um the ghost eye ring altogether in landing on earth or is some part of the story that we get which i think seems more likely and i'm really interested in is some part of the story we get of what happened on the ark and why this whole extra year passed before they could come back down to earth have to do with this ship flying through space, finding an operational working piece of a space station, docking there, you know, and then it becomes, you know, like when they land on Earth, do they have like the kids, you know, captive with them? Um, like, I don't know. Like I have, I have all kinds of sort of insane sort of speculation. But my big sort of question is, are we meant to believe that these are like, you know, question A is, are these the same miners or, or descendants of the miners over the past 97 years? And question two is, did they stop at and perhaps wreak havoc upon the six kids on the Ark before they landed here? Or did they land here not having any idea that Raven and everyone else is up in space, which then potentially opens up for like a really cool moment where this is like, I would just love this so much. So you know at the beginning of season two. <laughs> When there's that moment where you totally think that like all hope is lost for Finn and Bellamy and then out of fucking nowhere out pops Kane and his machine gun and you've like totally forgotten Kane existed and you have no idea like and it's like all of a sudden you're just like oh my god who is this person who like out of nowhere came to their aid and then the whole sort of story of like how you know the adults found them kind of like you sort of get it from there. Like, how fucking cool would it be if the beginning of the sort of story with the miners is Clark and Maddie, like, either being attacked by them, trying to, like, hide from them. We get a stretch of storyline that's about her and these people as sort of, you know, natural enemies. And then at some moment, when you least expect it, out from the shrubbery pops Bellamy Blake, you know, and then we find <laughs> out that the ship landed somewhere else that Clark couldn't even see them, and they've been walking for, like, three weeks trying to find her. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But that would be really cool. That would be amazing. That I yeah. would die. Like that would be so cool. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, now now I want that. Now I really, really want that. And she would right? then like and he would just be like, Oh my god, you're alive. And she'd be like, Oh my god, you're on the ground. And yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes I want that. Yeah. Okay, good. If that doesn't happen, somebody write that fanfic for us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds huh. incredible. I also realized, like, so they're they're a mining company, right? 
Yeah. And the bunker needs to be excavated in order for them to get out. So I wonder if Clark isn't going to, to recruit the miners or try yes. to recruit the miners potentially to help them get the open the bunker and then potentially I mean like there's also the, you know there's sort of like conflict that could arise because if they're if they're connected to Cadigan then they might know about the bunker you know they might like try to take it over you know like they help yeah her oh yeah yeah seemingly out of the goodness of their heart and then they sort of like turn on her also you know they have a spaceship that's like pretty advanced it seems like it can go up into space and back down again like Clark could also try to convince them to use it to go up to the ring to like check on people or get them yeah so like there's a whole like the existence of that spaceship and those miners yeah. like yeah there's all there's just like tons and tons of tons of potential and i'm just yeah. like i'm just so excited for next season i'm like, i am too i really oh god like, it's gonna be such a long hiatus i know oh my god i know it's already day one and i'm already spiraling but i i i feel I like know. <laughs> i like you and i talked a lot over the course of the season about like the, and i and i'm really interested to sort of see how it plays on rewatch that you know that our feelings about this season were very like up and down like there was some stuff that we just like loved so much and there was some stuff that we just like really felt like didn't work and and it was hard going week to week it was hard to sort of get a sense of like okay when i step back and i watch the whole season sort of at one go as a whole like how will i feel about this project and and i really feel like the finale and the big questions that it opens up for season five make me feel really differently about how how it will look sort of in totality like there's things that happen in this finale and there's things that i think are sort of pointing towards like really fucking cool shit for season five that make me feel more forgiving towards some things where like in a vacuum in the moment where it happened with no idea where it was gonna land i was like i don't feel like this works you know um, yeah 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 and yeah. some of those things still don't work on balance but but that matters less um and some of them were things that were subverted very nicely and i was like thrilled to be wrong yes and yeah. you know and some of them are things where it's sort of like okay this maybe isn't i don't know that this was sort of the best way to get this character to this point but the important thing was they had to get to that point for this thing to happen and the thing that happened was worth it so like i'm not going to fight about it you know right yeah yeah i just felt i i felt so reinvigorated by this finale me too i was so wired like i just like i watched the east coast time with kelsey and then we yelled about it for two hours and then we watched it again when it aired on the west coast (laughs) and then and then she was here until like midnight and we just were like we can't i can't believe like that was so it was so good you know it was like everything that i love about this show you know i i really i love this show the most when it takes things in a turn that i like would never have expected and in a million years, I would never have expected the the ship that lands that Clark sees in that moment to be total strangers. <laughs> actually, so my, my friend um, Elizabeth Hawthorne Whisperer, who was on a couple of weeks ago, she actually, she called that twist. Really? After the, like, right, yes, right after the preview um, at, after 412, you know, oh, uh-huh. show Clark and everyone's like, oh, leap forward. She's like... She was like, yeah, it's going to be a spaceship and it's going to turn out not to be them. And I was like, you're right. And she was right. She's brilliant. She's so so good job, Hawthorne Whisperer. Yes. She is brilliant. She she called that one. Um, and, and it did not take away from the satisfaction of it actually coming true. But like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, and that's something else that I think that I that I that I do want to say, too, is against my will. Initially, I had. 
big chunks of the finale spoiled for me by people coming into my Tumblr anons and describing in detail all of these sort of leaked finale pages, which which at the time when it happened was like super, super upsetting um, because I don't like to have the finale twist ruined for me. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm still really sad I didn't get to be surprised by Jasper and Lexa being in the city of light. You know, like I like to sort of discover those yeah. things as they happen. You know, like I'm sad I wasn't surprised that the solution was space because people had already told me, you know. But I will say, I think... Something that's like a real testament to how fucking good this episode was, was that like, even knowing stuff that I knew that I hadn't sort of set out to know for months about these twists, the finale was still a fucking thrill ride from top to bottom. And I think that, I think that's really amazing. Like, even though there was things where it's like, I knew this was going to happen because I, like, I knew in like February that this was going to happen, but still I'm watching it happen and I'm on the edge of my seat, you know? And yes, no, me too. Me too. Well, like I said earlier, like I never, I never thought that anyone was going, I was never like, oh my God, this person might die. But I was still just like, totally like locked in like adrenaline pumping the entire time yeah and like I said like I I fully expected that the ship coming down was going to turn out not to be was going to turn out to be the minor people because when Hawthorne Whisperer said it you know I was like yes you're totally right and it still was so satisfying like when it was right I was like yes oh my god this is amazing yeah 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 yeah. and that's like a great twist you like that is a great that's like a great payoff where it feels like even when you when it's spoiled it works you know so so yeah so this this episode was all of that all of that yep (sighs) (sighs) okay um well so this this brings us to the end of our season four hundred recaps, which I'm sort of like weirdly emotional I'm about. So, like it's the I end know, of an I'm era. Like super emotional. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, like everyone, to listen to this podcast. Seriously, like you guys are all we love you so much. It's ridiculous. We do have some really fun, exciting hiatus things planned. We're planning on binge watching when it comes back on. Netflix and then we're going to try to get a round table of people to sort of discuss how the whole season holds up when you watch it together we're really trying to get Jason Rothenberg to come back so we can ask him questions about the whole season we're working on a couple of actor interviews we have a couple of potential we have some potential news about that that might be coming out soon that we haven't confirmed yet but exciting things happening so you'll still be like hearing from us I'm also trying to convince Claire to watch uh The Expanse because I'm obsessed with it and I want to do a podcast on that too. So if I'm successful, (laughs) (laughs) Um, everybody go peer pressure, Claire, please. Um, I want to, I want, I do want to watch it. I like, I, I'm, I mean, you know what will make it easier is now I know from like, because I learned this last night, I finally figured out how to hook my laptop up to my television because like I can watch it on Amazon Prime, which I have on my computer, but I only really like watching things on my TV instead of like on a little tiny screen. But now I know how to do that. So like yes. now a whole new so you world have no excuse. Up. Now I have. Now so I have now no you're excuse. going to watch The Expanse. No, I had no excuse except that now there's going to have to be a cage match between you and Joe Garfine, who's going to be really mad if I watch anything else besides Lost before I finish Lost. So, Who is your best friend of 16 years? (laughs) Who is your best friend of 16 years? Who is your podcast partner? Also, The Expanse is only like like 22 episodes total. You can blow through it in like two days, three days, and then you can watch Lost. Okay. All right. That sounds acceptable. Okay. Joe, I'm sorry. All right. Okay. So, um, yeah. So thank you. We have exciting things coming up, so it won't be too long before you hear us again. But um, 
Thank you guys, everyone, all of our listeners, so, so much for going through the season with us together. Thanks to everyone who has reached out to us and sent us messages and chatted with us. Um, thank you again to our fabulous edit crew. I'm sorry yes. for the six hours of podcast <laughs> we're about to inflict upon you. Uh, <laughs> but you guys are great. You saved our butts the last um, few weeks, and we are so, so grateful. Thank you to thank you to everyone. We couldn't have done it without we you. Love we you love you guys all and so much. <laughs> I can't believe it's the end of season four. Okay. Ugh. And I almost Bye. said we'll see you next week, but we won't. And now I'm sad again. We okay, won't. We'll, we'll see you. Aww. We'll see you soon. Okay, we love you guys. Yes. Thank you so much. May we meet again. May- oh, we now meet I'm emotional. Again. May we meet again. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Uh.